When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk and Seasons Greetings to all of our loyal Buckeye Talk listeners. And even if you're not loyal, even like if you stumbled across this by accident, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays from Bill Landis, Tim Bielek, and Doug Maurice. I was sitting in the office in Cleveland this week, sitting across from a news reporter that I had not met previously, and we introduced ourselves to each other. Her name's Rose. And I said, oh, yeah, I work in Columbus. I cover Ohio State. And she's like, oh, yeah, Buckeye Talk. (laughs) And I was like, my God. If we didn't do Buckeye Talk, we would be worthless. But Buckeye Talk gives us a reason, a reason for the season, man. You know? Yeah. I mean, we're, it's it's the number one Christmas podcast in America. I mean, the holidays are about bringing people together. And I, I like to think, even though I've only been on this podcast for a few months, that I feel a lot closer to a lot of the listeners. Yeah. I think you bring the cheer. You bring the cheer. The yeah, holiday the holiday cheer. cheer. Yeah. We're the yeah. Grinches. Right. You love the Grinch. We are the Grinches. Also, I think it's sacrilegious for me to say that the reason for the season is Buckeye Talk, so I take that back. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, we're going to do our Cotton Bowl preview. The game is on December 29th in, uh, not Dallas, right? It's Arlington? In, uh, Arlington. Arlington. Yeah, Arlington. Yeah. It's across the street from Six Flags. And uh, isn't there a Walmart there? There's a Walmart. There's a Six Flags. There's the biggest football stadium you've ever seen and also where the Texas Rangers play. Nice. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go there. So we'll we'll have live coverage um, there starting the morning of the 26th. Um, but this will be your Cotton Bowl preview today. We're going to talk about USC to some degree, talk about their good players, talk about the things that USC does that might bother Ohio State. We're not going to make our picks, but you might be able to get a sense of where each of us stands on where we think we're leaning in this game, I think, from this discussion. So this will be that, but we're also going to talk about signing day before that because last week we did our signing day preview. Signing day is Wednesday, December 20th. So for many of you, by the time you listen to this, the the class will be in the barn already. So if you want to know more about that class, make sure you listen to last week's Buckeye Talk. We broke down everything. But a couple things have happened since then that is affecting who's going to be in this class and who's not going to be in this class. So we're going to talk about that. And the first thing we're going to talk about is Emery Jones, the guy who has been their quarterback recruit in the class of 2018. And I'm putting Bill on the spot. For how long? When did he verbally commit to Ohio State? July of 2016. July of 2016, which, if I figure this correctly, is going to allow me to make my point (laughs) that I'm very excited to make. This is a Christmas gift to me. Can you figure out what I'm going to say? No, I'm actually, yeah, no, I don't know what you're going to say. Nearly a full year after he left the Ohio State football program, this is one final screw-up by (laughs) Tim Beck. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) 
for two years. This is the second time in in some part of the Tim Beck era. It did not happen last year, but it did happen the year before, and it happened this year, where the quarterback that they identified and picked as their guy, they didn't get. <laughs> the first one was Tristan Wallace from Texas, who wound up being a receiver, and then they got to Dwayne Haskins as, as a fallback, which turned out to be a great fallback plan. But if Dwayne Haskins would have said, like, you know what, I'm locked on Maryland, man. Like, if Dwayne Haskins, like, had not gone to Ohio State football camps when he was a kid, who knows what would have happened there. So, to some degree, would it be fair to say that in that realm, and I know kids decommit, but when you identify your number one quarterback, and he's in the class for some period of time, and then he doesn't wind up in that class, is that not a screw-up on some level? Sure, sure. Okay, so they screwed that up, and now this, Emory Jones has been committed for a year and a half, and he's not going to be a Buckeye. Now, maybe Matthew Baldwin will be great. Maybe it won't matter because they have Dwayne Haskins and Tate Martell and they'll get somebody else in 2019. And they'll just have, if Matthew Baldwin's not great, they'll just have an average guy in this class and it won't matter. Maybe he'll never start. We'll see Haskins play. We'll see Tate Martell play and that's fine. But to me, this is a screw up. And it starts with the people who identified Emory Jones as the guy to target. All these other quarterbacks in the country that they could have gone after. And here we are. And it's the early signing period. And Emory Jones is probably going to sign with Florida. And Ohio State's fine with that. That's a screw up. And that starts with Tim Beck because he was the quarterback's coach for the previous two years when this coaching staff was deciding who's our quarterback in this class going to be. I think there's some truth to all of that. Urban Meyer is very heavily involved in quarterback recruiting. It's usually his guy and not, well, I guess I think more often than not, it's Urban's guy. But then like JT Barrett was Tom Herman's guy. And I think Tom Herman did some convincing for Urban when it came to JT. Tristan Wallace was a Tim Beck guy. He recruited Tristan Wallace when he was at Nebraska and then, Beck showed up, but Ohio State was recruiting him before Tim Beck got to Ohio State. Um, so I think you can lay some of the blame at Tim Beck's feet because he was the position coach and at least part of the recruitment of both these quarterbacks that they've lost. But Ur- Urban Meyer has his hands all over quarterback recruiting, probably more so, definitely more so than any other position on the team. So if you're going to lay the blame at Tim Beck, lay just as much, if not more, blame at Urban Meyer's feet if you think this is a screw-up. So, so how did they... Let's talk about what it cost them. What did it cost them that they made Emory Jones their guy from July of 2016 on? Because when they got onto Matthew Baldwin late, as you were writing with that commitment, in that moment, there certainly was a world where, okay, maybe they are going to take two. But most of the time during this recruiting period, they were not... There was, they were not talking about taking two. No. They were not in active pursuit of other major quarterbacks during this process because they had Emory Jones locked up since July of 2016. So who did, aren't there guys out there who are better than Matthew Baldwin that if they had not decided on Emory Jones, they could have been looking at other guys? 
who would be signing here right now. I'm not going to buy. I'm just not going to buy. You know what? It's all good. Matthew Baldwin was a late riser. He's a diamond in the rough. The genius of Ohio State dug Hmm. him out. He's going to be a star. And actually, getting a quarterback commitment from a guy who was committed to Colorado State and like popped on Ohio State's radar like six weeks ago, and now he's your quarterback in this class, that's actually the best way to go about it. So it all worked out. Ohio State did a genius job of this, and it's all fine because Matthew Baldwin's awesome. I'm not buying that. They had to take who was available because they were so far on an Emory Jones. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. I I mean, my personal opinion, I do think Matthew Baldwin's going to be good, but I think if you just want to look at the rankings and say that and the timing of things, I think that's certainly a, a fair criticism. And if you're unhappy with Matthew Baldwin because you went from having the number was he number four dual threat quarterback in the country to having a prospect who's ranked like close to 400 in the country, and Baldwin, I think you're allowed to be upset with that. I just don't know. They like never got super far down the road with anybody because Emory had been committed for so long. So I'm, I'm trying, I'm having a hard time like trying to rack my brain of guys like like they had Phil Jerkovic, who is from mm, Phil Jerkovic, who's from Western PA, but he committed to Notre Dame before Ohio State had Emory. He did. Yes. Okay. Because remember, you and I went to the opening camp in Columbus. Yeah. We're like, oh my god, like Phil Jerkovic's going to be here, and we can write Terrell Pryor stories. And then like that week, he committed to Notre Dame. Or no, you talked to him. So yeah. like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then like four days later, he committed to Notre Dame, and that was in May. And, okay. then, and then Emory committed to Ohio State in July. Um, so that wasn't like – they didn't lose Jerkovic because they had Emory. Um, he, so he was a big name on us. Like Jaron Williams, who's going to Miami, who they got – who they offered after the stuff kind of got weird with Emory. Maybe he's a guy they could have gotten in earlier on. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean they're they're – they're left without a on-paper stud quarterback because of how this all played out with Emory Jones. But to give you a list of guys they could have had if they didn't take Emory, I don't know what that list is. Cause, and, it, cause, and even to say that is to say it was a mistake to take Emory. I don't think it was a mistake to take Emory. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. It didn't work out, and now it sucks. And now you kind of you're left looking like an idiot a little bit, I guess. But what are they supposed to do? Not take a commitment from Emory Jones when he wants to commit? No, they're supposed to do a better job identifying of a guy. A better job identifying a guy that they believe will, A, be a guy who's going to wind up here, B, be a guy who's going to develop through his senior year and continue to be a good prospect, and C, like just fits everything they want in a quarterback. That's one of the things, like, I I don't have a lot of sympathy for recruiting stuff for the school because, Mm -hmm. like, obviously it's crazy. Recruiting is crazy. You're relying on teenagers' decisions, and that is, you're in complete, you have no control over what they're going to decide, right? Right. But yet, Urban Meyer cares, Urban Meyer always says he cares about rankings, he cares about this kind of stuff. So, like, all, the end result, all all I think you can go by, as long as you are recruiting within the rules, is the end result. And the end result is... They had a kid committed for 18 months who's not going to be in this class, and now their quarterback is a guy they grabbed a month ago who is much lower rated, and in the process, they certainly they certainly had to miss out on opportunities to check in on other kids, and in the end, I can't couch Emory Jones. I'm not saying that they should take Emory Jones right now no matter what. If they feel like he's not the best fit for them, if he feels like he's not the best fit for Ohio State, then he shouldn't be here. But within that, that's a failure. It didn't happen. 
for 18 months, you thought he was going to be your quarterback. He's not. That's a failure because that's the only – it's the scoreboard. All I point to is yep. scoreboard. Is he here? Nope, he's not here. Okay, then. And I understand – I'm not saying – but I'm saying it's a failure that you didn't identify somebody else earlier on. You missed something. You missed something with him early on because if you hadn't missed something, he'd be here. Whatever it is, he'd be here. And he's not. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I like half agree with you and, and half disagree. I, yes, I guess you should know. It, it's kind of similar to me. And I know we don't like to mix basketball and, and football. But like Ohio State lost its entire like Ohio State basketball lost its entire 2015 recruiting class in two years. It's a five man class. They lost all of them, and part of that was like misidentification of like non skill stuff, like personality stuff, and and probably in the end taking commitments from players you shouldn't have taken commitments from. And the end result was you lost five players from your roster. Um, so maybe there's some of that going on here too with Emory that you just saw the big arm and you saw the talent and you took a commitment from a kid who. I don't know, wasn't actually in the end totally committed to you. Um, so if you want to label it misidentification or, or mistake in that way, I guess I see that. But I also, I don't, I don't see it as a major issue because you have Dwayne Haskins, because you have Tate Martell. Even like you said, if Matthew Baldwin ends up not being very good, you have a 2019 quarterback to bring and you have six years of, of quarterback eligibility at, to work with here with Haskins. Not six, I guess four years of quarterback eligibility to work here work with with Haskins and Martell that even though Emory Jones is not in a roster you, you're going to live to tell about it I think it's just the optics of it aren't great I think the actual impact to the roster is, is minimal yeah that's where I'm kind of in agreement with you 100% is it's bad when you lose a top 50 prospect and Ohio State's already including Jones that'll be two and potentially could be three in the next 24 hours for Ohio State and the optics of that aren't good but if one of those three wasn't going to hurt as much. It was going to be Jones just because, like you mentioned, you have two younger quarterbacks in the system. You're going to have a third-year sophomore in Dwayne Haskins, a redshirt freshman in Tate Martell, Matthew Baldwin, who, I mean, who's going to probably redshirt, I imagine, as a freshman. You'll have a 2019 kid come in. And, look, I mean, in two years, we could be talking about a situation where Emory Jones, two, three years where Emory Jones doesn't play wherever he is and Matthew Baldwin takes over. and Stop! What, now that's our scenario? Emory no, Jones is going to be terrible and Matthew Baldwin is no, going to be great? I think Emory Jones is going to be really good. Yeah, at, he's going to be he's gonna be really good. I think part of it also, he sees an opportunity in Florida to play to play quicker because he comes to Ohio State. He's going to be behind Haskins and Martell right from the jump. So I can understand you know him wanting to look around for different opportunities, but I'm with Bill in agreement that it's not as bad a loss as it looks on paper as it's going to look in the recruiting rankings to not have Emory Jones there because of what you already have at quarterback. I think you, you of course, would rather have the good quarterback than not have him. Like, I'm not saying, like, well, they're going to be great because, like, Emory Jones stinks. Emory Jones is really good, and Ohio State's quarterback future at the moment is worse off because they're not getting him. But I think you can make up for it in 2019. Um, the thing that I do think is at play here, and it's a thing that I thought, and I think we all thought when Emory Jones first committed – is how does Ohio State keep stacking this quarterback talent the way it's stacking it? And if the end result is, well, they didn't because they can't, because it's really hard to do that, then that makes a little bit of sense to me. That Emory Jones was committed, he saw Haskins, he saw Martell, he let it play out a little bit, and then here comes Florida with a basically the exact same offense and an opportunity to possibly play as a freshman that he wasn't going to get here. Um, 
it makes sense to me that Ohio State in the end was not able to keep three elite court, elite quarterbacks on its roster. And and I get that, and that was a thing here. We've talked about that before. Like when Terrell Pryor was here, they had a hard time recruiting behind Terrell Pryor because Terrell Pryor started as a freshman. Um, but then that just makes you normal. But we like we were talking while Emory Jones co- was committed. It was like they're they're doing the impossible. They're stacking five star quarterbacks. How do they do it? They're the greatest. They're not. They're just yeah, like everybody, everybody else. else. It's yeah. hard. So let's just let's just admit that. Because you know who would agree with me that this is a failure? Who who agrees with me? Uh, Urban. Urban. Yeah. That's the thing. Like when people, I think sometimes get mad. It's like, oh, you think you know who's critical of Ohio State? Urban Meyer is. Yeah. Urban, would you say, <laughs> Urban, to have a quarterback committed for 18 months who's one of the highest rated quarterbacks in the country and wind up taking a much lower rated quarterback who commits to, who you didn't even know what his name was a month ago, <laughs> on some level, is that a failure? He'd say, hell yeah, that's a failure. <laughs> Without hesitation. It doesn't mean that Matthew Baldwin's awful. Sure. It just means that that's not the plan. That was not that's not a, that's not a plan that's not a recruiting plan. He wants a top kid in every class, so he didn't get what he wants. Again, I, I'm not saying that it's going to like ruin them, but I'm saying and I'm like I think it's okay to talk about two different things, and we can get into this with Micah Parsons in a little, in a second. The re- whole recruiting world is a bubble to me, so this is like I'm talking about I'm in the recruiting world bubble. And then if you got if you want to wade out into the real world and look at the roster and talk about how who's going to play when and whatever and all this means is that it seems like Tate Martell's definitely going to be a starting quarterback here or whatever like yeah it's not the end of the world. I'm in this I'm in the 2018 recruiting bubble. Failure. I think it's fair. Yeah. So Penn State lost Justin Fields and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Would you rather get strung along or have the kid jump early because Justin Fields is the best quarterback in this class? was committed to Penn State at one point, decommitted long ago, and is going to Georgia. And I was just looking to see, well, who Penn State got. Mm-hmm. Is it their quarterback in this class is Will Levis, who is the number 628 player in the country from Middletown, Connecticut. The number 25 pro-style quarterback in the country. I th- is that right? Yeah, I don't know when he, when did he commit? Is there a date next to that? My phone's freezing. My he, phone is old and it freezes. He may have been in the class when Flint Fields was in the class. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I think he was in and he, he committed in 17. But they didn't get somebody else then. They didn't bounce back. Do you know this off the top of your head, Landis? I'm I, got looking. It, I got it right here, July 15th. And is there another quarterback in this class for Penn State or no? There is not. Okay. So they lost Fields early and didn't didn't respond by getting Go to the, the a different, there. A different top 10 kid. So it's like they're – Ohio State and Penn State at one point had two of the three best quarterbacks in Georgia committed to their programs, mm-hmm. and neither wound up here. When did Fields decommit? Uh, Fields committed on – decommitted on June 6th. So it was about a month and nine or ten days later that Levis committed to Oh, Penn they did. State. Okay. So, they so, that, so he was there. He's their Matthew Baldwin. Yes. Significantly lower ranked, but yes, you're very high on Matthew Baldwin. You get a little. You know bit why offended. I'm high? I'm, no, I'm, high, I'm the only reason I'm high on Matthew Baldwin is because he went to Baker Mayfield's high school. Yeah, <laughs> you want Baker Mayfield to play for Ohio State, and yeah. now you think you got no, two shots I at want, it. I want, I want, I want the next seven years of Ohio State quarterback play to be all Baker Mayfield. Well, Matthew Baldwin is six feet two and a half. That's too tall to be Baker. I'm not Mayfield. talking about height. 
talking about crotch grabbing. <laughs> Bill Landis. <laughs> don't you know about the Brotherhood? You don't grab your crotch in the Brotherhood. <laughs> Tell you what. If you did what Baker Mayfield did to Ohio State in Ohio Stadium, you can grab anything you want. Yeah. <laughs> I think Ohio State fans would agree with that. All right, there's a couple other uh, recruiting things we want to get to. Let's get to this Michael Parsons story first. Credit to the Lantern. Yeah. Colin Hass Hill, right? Mm-hmm. That's the Lantern sports editor. Broke this story on Tuesday. Got the uh, NCAA violations for Ohio State. I'm assuming he just asked for the, a batch of the last couple months. Um, when I was on my game back in the day, before I <laughs> got lazy and stupid, I used to do that. Um, he discovered that Ohio State self-reported a, a violation. And again, this is not like shut down the program kind of violation. This is relatively minor stuff. But it had an effect that on September 9th, when they had Micah Parsons, who's a five-star defensive end, one of the top ten players in the country from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, at one time was very high on Ohio State. And Ohio State was very high on him. His official visit for the Oklahoma game, he visited the set of college game day. He was escorted by a recruiting staffer paid by Ohio State, whose job it is to know this stuff, uh, according to what Colin Hill wrote, based off those violations. They invited um, Micah Parsons to come onto the set. Micah Parsons posted some photos with Kirk Herbstreet. Uh, he met Eddie George. Mm-hmm. Those guys, in addition to being college football analysts are both former Ohio State players, and that made that an NCAA violation because you cannot have um, media participating in, like, pumping up your recruit, and you can't have former players helping recruiting. And so that was that's perceived as some edge for Ohio State to have that. They just have blanket rules about this stuff because if you let – the bottom line is – the only people who can recruit a player are people paid by the university to recruit football players. Mm-hmm. Troy Smith talked to Terrell Pryor one time, like at a camp. You can't do that. That was a violation. That happened again with basketball when they hosted Kobe Simmons. Kobe Simmons was like hanging around with like D'Angelo Russell and I think Michael Conley, and that was a violation. You can't, like, you can't do that because the NCAA wants to regulate recruiting, but the NCAA and I had a tweet on this and I deleted it. Because I thought I'd save it for the podcast. Hmm. If we ever do make podcast shirts, I think the, the it would say "Save it for the podcast." Buckeye talk. <laughs> Is that? Would yeah, you wear a shirt yeah. that said "Save oh, it yeah. for the podcast"? Yeah, yeah. We, we say that like at least every other week. I think. Yeah, I shout it at my children sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the NCAA exerts power over one tiny fairy tale land. It's amateur college athletics. Amateur in quotation marks. And the only people that the NCAA has any authority over are coaches, employees, athletes, and recruits. The NCAA can't do anything to you, Tim Bielek. They can't do anything to you, Bill Landis. They can't do anything to Kirk Herbstreet or Eddie George. They can't do anything to boosters. Now, if a booster, a fan, a donor, screws something up in recruiting... Ohio State then has the right to disassociate from that person and say, you can't buy tickets from us anymore. But that's not the NCAA saying that. The NCAA NCAA can't come to Bill Landis and say, hey, Bill Landis, you can't take a picture of Micah Parsons. Because Bill Landis could say, what are you going to do about it, NCAA? 
Then they're going to say, well, you're kind of a big guy. You can probably do what you want to do. I still have four years of eligibility left, though. I don't want to lose that. That's true. <laughs> so, so that's the point here. So it's on Ohio State. A couple people were mad at Kirk Herbstreet. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And yes, Ohio State does speak to alumni and does try to educate former players and boosters and donors on this because it's in Ohio State's best interest. But you know what? It's still not on those people. It's on Ohio State. It's on that recruiting staffer who took that kid on the college game day set and let him do that. He didn't run off by himself and do this. This is all on Ohio State. And what Ohio State said was, we committed this violation, so we're not going to recruit him anymore. So that's it. Now, you had been covering this Micah Parsons saga. Do you have a – he's going to sign with Penn State, right? Yeah, I would be surprised if he doesn't. Yeah. Do you think that cost them Micah Parsons? That this news came out today, but it happened on September 9th. So Ohio State's known for months, as, as we've been sort of writing about this, looking at this, oh, what's he going to do? Ohio State's not been recruiting him. They have not. So do you think if that would not have happened, if that recruiting staffer had done what he was supposed to do and say, you can't go on the college game day set, that's a violation. And Ohio State had continued with a normal recruitment of Micah Parsons. Do you think he would have wound up here? Or do you think that a top 10 kid in Pennsylvania is probably going to end up at at Penn State anyway? I think the Ohio State Micah Parsons relationship was always kind of shaky at best. Kind of from the from the time he decommitted from Penn State last spring, and everyone assumed he decommitted because he was going to flip to Ohio State. Um, I think if it was a situation of Ohio State saying, "Yeah, Micah, let, let's go, let's do this," he would have committed. He did not. Um, he went through the summer. He visited a bunch of places. Um, I think Ohio State, like every program who committed Micah, has um, concerns about him his personal life um, that I, I'm not going to get into too much. Um, I think there's some like maturity stuff, like every kid's mature. And I actually don't think that's fair to him to say, well, he's a mature, like he's a, he's a teenager. Um, so like, I don't think it was just the, the game day stuff. I don't think it was just the tweets that he had about Dwayne Haskins. I think there were a lot of things at play that were just going to make it so that Ohio state didn't feel comfortable accepting a commitment from Michael Parsons. Um, so no, I think even if this had not happened, or not had not been self-reported or whatever, I still don't think Ohio State ends up with Micah Parsons in this class. Okay, so let's slide into defensive ends then. Brenton Cox decommitted. They're not getting Micah Parsons. You've been writing about Parsons, Jason Owe, and Tyreek Smith. Smith. Where are they ending up there? And then we're gonna we'll we'll merge into the other defensive end that we need to talk about. But but where do you think they're gonna end up with the the idea that they lost Cox, who was a five star? Mm-hmm. They're not getting Parsons, who's a five star. Mm-hmm. Owe and Smith, where do they stand with Owe and Smith? Um, I think Owe is going to Penn State. So if you would ask me this, and I might have even said that on the podcast last week, it's weird. It's like Penn State is recruiting Micah Parsons, Jason Owe, and Tyreek Smith, and Ohio State is recruiting Jason Owe and Tyreek Smith. And at one point, Penn State was the favorite to get all three of those guys. And my thinking was that, well, I don't think they could actually take all three, so someone's going to be the odd man out, and that think that someone would go to Ohio State. But I thought the odd man out would have been Owe. And now it seems like Owe is is – down to two, Ohio State or Penn State, but that Penn State is the favorite there. And then it has shifted with Tyreek Smith, who was once considered by a lot of people to be like a Penn State lean, and then the Penn State was going to lock him up, and that James Franklin had done a good job of recruiting Tyreek. 
And now Ohio State, I think by just about everyone, is considered the favorite to get Tyreek Smith out of Cleveland Heights. Um, it's to the point where Tyreek went on his official visit to Penn State two weeks ago. James Franklin was scheduled to have an in-home visit that following week, and Tyreek Smith told James Franklin not to come. Um, and then Ohio State had an in-home visit later that week. Uh, Urban Meyer, Larry Johnson, Greg Schiano, and Tony Alford all went to his basketball game. I think it was last Friday night. So as it stands now, I think Tyreek Smith is in Ohio State's class. Now, he's not announcing until January 4th at the Under Armour game, so we're not going to know. Like, when they sign all these players on Wednesday, and whenever Meyer talks with the players, he can talk about Tyreek Smith is not going to be included in that group. But at the moment, things look very good for Ohio State to land Tyreek Smith, which is a huge turn in their fortunes because it looked like when they lost Brenton Cox a couple weeks ago that they were going to be really, really scrambling to get some kind of defensive end presence in this class and, and weren't really in a good position with any of their top targets. But that has now changed. All right, so let's move on now to the defensive end they are going to get. And this excites me! I'm going to say positive recruiting things now. And I'm going to say positive recruiting things because they got a kid who's not ranked very high. <laughs> and that brings joy to my heart. Um, explain Alex Williams, and then you two talk about what do you think he means for Ohio State. And then I'll jump in and celebrate. Alex Williams is a three-star defensive end from Pickerington North. Um, he also plays tight end. I think he, he actually... He's got like a little bit of Rashad Berry to him, I think, where he's just a really good athlete who's like who's got an he's six foot seven, two hundred and fifty pound basketball player who plays defensive end and tight end. Um, is far from a complete product at either position, but I think Ohio State just sees six foot seven athlete who can play on either side of the ball and says, Okay, we'll take that guy. Um, so I think at the moment you could say that he is filling the void at defensive end. Um, but he could potentially be a tight end in the future. But it's a it's a under-recruited Ohio kid who I think and I thought maybe there wasn't going to be a spot for someone like that in this class and wondered moving forward in the future how often they'd have spots for guys like that, and it seems they have one now for Alex Williams. And I got a chance to watch the highlight film of him. I mentioned this to Doug as we were watching it earlier. Um, In the first minute alone of his highlight film, I counted about six pass deflections at the line of scrimmage. You know, he's just stepping through the line, just swatting him out of the air, and that's where I think the basketball background kind of comes in. And people can say a lot about low rankings. I'm sure Doug will obviously talk about it. It's the latest in a couple-year stretch for Ohio State where they've gotten a guy late. Last three times, it seems like it worked out pretty well. 2015 was B.B. Landers, 2016 Malik Harrison, and then last year, Thayer Munford. Both Mm -hmm. And all three have become contributors, which I think is kind of proof that while recruiting rankings are crucial, they're not the end-all, be-all. And some, and I'm not saying that's going to be the case with Alex Williams, but I'm I'm just saying to people that, like, you know, are seeing a guy who's ranked maybe in the 500s or whatever to not, not just assume that he's not going to do anything because there's a chance, especially given Ohio State's lack of depth at defensive line, a defensive end in particular, that he might not get a chance to do something this year. And I... Um... I'm almost more interested just like there are kids who who are going to come here who are not going to play much. Mm -hmm. There's only 22 starters each year and there's 85 guys on scholarship. And I think the kids who don't play that much should be Ohio kids. I just don't want your roster to be filled with four and five star out of state kids who aren't playing. Somebody's got to play special teams. Somebody's got to be a backup who no one's happy to be a backup, but who's not sitting there curs- cursing the coaching staff, 
hating life, thinking about transferring because he's not starting right away. It's a, it's a kid who's happy to be at Ohio State and is going to bust his butt as a backup. And I'm not saying that you can't – a five-star kid from the other side of the country who has no previous connection to Ohio State could be that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And I understand you want a lot of those five-star kids because you think they're going to be all Big Ten, all-American, future first-round draft pick kind of guys. Great. Obviously. I just don't want 25 of those guys every year. I don't want an 85-man roster of five stars from all over the country, where 75 or the 85 are from out of state, and where 75 of the 85 were top 100 recruits coming out of high school. I don't think that's the best way to build a team, because not all 75 of those top 100 out-of-state kids are going to play, and I don't think that's the way you build a program. Not when you worry about the Michigan game like the way they worry about it. Not when you talk about a brotherhood. Not when you talk about making the state of Ohio, the great state of Ohio proud. You're not, the best way to make the great state of Ohio proud is not with 85 kids who aren't from Ohio. It's also not with 85 kids who are from Ohio. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't blinders on about this. But what we were always worried about, and we talked about this a year ago. We talked about it a lot. We talk about it all the time on this podcast. When Luke Fickle left, I worried they wouldn't have room for these kids. Is Tyvis Powell going to get in this class? Is Darren Lee going to get in this class? Brady Taylor is a kid who flipped late mm-hmm. years ago. He has not played. He's been here four years. He has not played yet. But he was on the depth chart this year. He was the backup center. If Billy Price had gotten hurt, for an extended period of time, I think Brady Taylor would have played. Yes. He might be the starting center next year as a one-year starter, as a fifth-year senior. And in the meantime, no one's ever heard Brady Taylor complain. I mean, not that you – you know what I mean? Like, Brady Taylor has been exactly what you want a kid to be. He's a late flip from Ohio who they had room for, who really wanted to be here, who has been here, who was not a great player early on, who has – gotten progressively better over time, who earned a spot on the second team and might start as a senior. If that's Alex Williams' path, that's a great freaking path, man. If that's his career, that's a great career. And that is absolutely worth taking. So you have to have room for guys like that. So I know that they have, is this true? They have room for Alex Williams yeah. because they didn't get Brenton Cox and Micah Parsons. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's fair to say they probably would not have taken him otherwise. If Brenton Cox had not flipped, had not decommitted, would they be adding a three-star defensive end from Ohio at the 11th hour? Mm, It's tough. Like the early signing period, I think makes that a more complicated answer than, than maybe you think, because like he was committed to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And I think if he was committed to West Virginia, but didn't have to sign with West Virginia until February, then I think it's possible they still had a kid like Alex Williams. It's not like they have been monitoring him like they do with all these Ohio kids. They watch him develop as seniors and then offer them late. They, Alex Williams got offered last week whenever Meyer went there last Thursday to Pickerington North. Um, that's a scenario that often plays out in January that just happened to play out in December because if Ohio State wanted him, they had to do it now because Alex Williams is planning on signing with West Virginia tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, so I think there was still a chance, but but not a great chance that he would be in this class. So the thing that I was worried about, so maybe let's say it would have happened anyway. I'm just glad that Urban Meyer made that visit. Yeah. I'm glad that 
they weren't at the point where they were so stacked with out-of-state five stars that Urban Meyer said, I don't, know, I don't need to drive to the high school down the road to look at that good player who's not a five star because we don't have any room for him. I'm glad Urban Meyer is still making that drive. Whatever the circumstances are, whether it was planned or not planned, whether it was a desperation move or a strategic move, I hope it's strategic. I hope, and Urban Meyer talks about this. We have asked him about this in the past. Mm-hmm. And he has talked about, I want to have some room for those kids. He has expressed he has expressed worry about not having room, right? Mm-hmm. But he always seems to, he says the same things we say. Man, sometimes those late developing Ohio kids, it breaks your heart when you don't have room for them. You really wish you could get those kids in because they'll help your program. Yeah, and you watch it go be good somewhere else. So I'm glad you got to get. I think you got to get a kid or two like that every year. Yeah, I, I I think they 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 should. And I also think like we're I think we're pretty strongly in a minority in that being of that opinion, and that's fine. Like whatever people like stars, and I get that. I do, I do think I agree with everything you said. I think there's some merit to having Ohio kids like this in your class. Um, at the very least, to provide depth. At the very least, to like balance out the I don't know what you want to call it. Divaness is probably too much of a too strong of a word, but yeah, you want kids who love the program and want to be there just because of that, not necessarily focus on playing time and all that stuff. So I think that's important to have one or two, and then like the other twenty three can be five stars and everyone can be happy. Yeah. All right, we're going to come back after this quick break and start breaking down the Cotton Bowl, and we'll also get to some of your questions. Let's remember there are always people out there in the world that need us. So with each holiday or birthday or anniversary. Instead of doing the usual and giving flowers or attire, whatever you give people, why not give the gift of food, all right? The gift of food is something that can make you feel good and that can help people in the greater Cleveland area, and you can do that through the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. You make a tribute gift in the name of a friend or a relative, and it shows that friend and relative how much you care about them by caring about other people. And you're going to fight hunger in Northeast Ohio. The food bank's going to send you an e-card. And that's going to let your loved one know of your kindness and their kindness in helping out someone else. doesn't need to be a huge donation. Ten bucks. Twenty bucks. Five bucks. Everything helps. Because every single dollar can provide four meals to someone who really needs it. Every year. This is what the food bank does, right? Last year, they gave 50 million meals to people in Northeast Ohio. Think about that. Wouldn't you like to be part of that? Wouldn't you like to have someone you love be part of that? If you want to do that, if you want to do something different, make a gift for someone's special day, go right now and visit greaterclevelandfoodbank.org. All right, let's break down some Cotton Bowl. I got a trivia question for you guys. How many USC players were named first team all Pac-12? I will say seven. Lando? Uh, I can only name two, so I'll say there's three more, five. And one is Sam and, and one, one is, is Darnold. Yeah, five <laughs> Five is my answer. Six. Ooh. Guess how many were on offense and how many were on defense? Oh, uh, two on offense and the rest on defense. Five, uh, four offense, two defense. Landis is right. So I think a lot of us think as of USC as an offensive team. They had four guys named first team All Pac-12 on their defense. I can probably guess who two of them are. Name them. Um, I'm gonna have to go to my. 
Uchenna, Uchenna Nwosu and Cameron Smith. Those are two of them. Those are both linebackers. Rasheem Green. Yep, defensive line. Um, and then the last one I want to guess, Iman Marshall. Nope. God, Lan- oh. come on, Bielik. <laughs> Get your stuff together on USC. Marvell Tell, defensive oh, back. I, I figured it was one of those secondary guys. If it no, wasn't Marshall, it was Tell. Don't make excuses. You were wrong. <laughs> it was fifty. It was a coin flip. So, this is a team that the thing that I'm thinking about is uh, the Rose Bowl last year, right? Penn State, I think, was a really good team last year. I thought Penn State should have made the playoff last year. They went to the Rose Bowl and had a shootout with USC. What was the score of that game? 55-52 or something like that? It was 52-49, I think. Like, unbelievable. Scoring craziness. Um, Which is part of when, like, sort of Sam Darnold announced himself to the world a little bit. Yeah, you're right on, Bill, with that score. 52-49? Correct. So, all right, um, go to go to a CFB stats. Tell me how many points per game USC is averaging. Because my initial instinct here is that Ohio State is in trouble. And I think they are in trouble because they do not face, and we'll tell you that we recorded five videos the other day mm-hmm. where we broke down a lot of this stuff, and we got done and we realized the Guitar Hero microphone that we use had died, and it was just silence. Us just yammering into a camera. There's a lot of good information in those right. videos. God, those were hot videos. <laughs> Here we go, Stavis. USC averaging 34.5 points a game. Believe it or not, that's actually eight full points fewer than Ohio State average for wow, what that's stink. worth. stink. Mm. I take it all back. How many times did USC play Indiana? Z- zero, mm. but they. I'm trying to look at their schedule. I got a thousand tabs up here. They, they did play Oregon State, though. The Indiana of the West. Basically, yes. So... I think here's here's some info about Sam Darnold, who sliced up Stanford um, in the Pac-12 title game pretty well. The, the The point to me is that when you think about Ohio State against great quarterbacks, uh, Baker Mayfield had his way. Deshaun Watson had his way for the most part uh, last year in the playoff semifinal. Trace McSorley, I, I've liked Trace McSorley through his Penn State career. That's just a different conversation. That's just like a little scrambling dude who chucks it deep sometimes. Yeah. Um, that's not a – I mean, Sam Darnold's an NFL quarterback. Deshaun Watson's an NFL quarterback. Baker Mayfield's an NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like first-round NFL quarterbacks. And Ohio State just doesn't play very many of them because there aren't very many of them. And this is one of those, again, where it's like, wow. For, me, for my point to be, I'll tell you what. Ohio State's defense really struggles against future first-round NFL quarterbacks. It's like – Wow, there's a great point. <laughs> Everyone struggles against future first-round NFL quarterbacks. Yeah. That's why they're future first-round NFL quarterbacks. But I just feel like this this challenge for this defense is just a different level compared to everything they faced other than Baker Mayfield, and Baker Mayfield killed them. So in the first five games of this season, Sam Darnold's average game was 23 of 35 for 278 yards. 65% completion percentage, nine touchdowns, eight interceptions. And that goes up to their loss to Washington State, which was his worst game of the year. So in the first five games, he had nine touchdowns, eight picks. The last eight games, he has 17 touchdowns and four picks. The last eight games, his average game is 21 of 33, 300 yards, 
63% completion percentage. Okay. On the year, he is averaging 8.7 yards per attempt, which is a big stat to judge sort of the kind of throws that a quarterback is making. Because when you're making all these little flip throws that are basically running plays for four yards and your completion percentage gets hiked up and stuff, you can have some fake stats that don't really tell you a story. Yards per attempt is telling you what this guy is doing when he tries to throw it. 8.7 yards per attempt, that's 12th in the nation. JT Barrett's 21st in the nation, 8.3. Not a huge difference there. Good for JT. Baker Mayfield, first in the nation, 11.8 yards per attempt. That's how much Baker Mayfield's killing people this year. But anyway, Sam Darnold is just a real dude. USC ranks seventh in the nation in passing plays of at least 10 yards. They don't rank as high in the real huge passing plays. They're 40th in the nation in 40-plus passing passing plays. Ohio State's 33rd. Ohio State actually has more passing plays of 40 yards or more than USC does. Ohio State has 11. USC has 10. But passing plays of 10 yards or more, USC has 161. Ohio State has 132. So what this is telling me, and you can go watch YouTube highlights and it's telling you the same thing, is that Sam Darnold, whose completion percentage, he completes nearly two-thirds of his passes, he's throwing a lot of 8 and 10 and 12 and 15 and 17 yard passes. He is not propping himself up on little dinks and dunks and basically handoff throws and screens and stuff. He makes real throws all the time, all game. And a real dude who makes real throws all the time, all game, to me, is trouble for Ohio State. And again, he's trouble for a lot of people. But like a good running back, to me, when I hear, oh, good running back, to me, that's not trouble for Ohio State. Mm. You know, when I hear there's certain things that you, that's the number one thing. Like dude who is going to sit there and bing, bang, boom you on 10 and 12 yard throws over, like in, uh, beating your linebackers, beating you outside the hashes to some against some corners, that kind of thing. That to me is the number. A great defense, like great defense, doesn't scare me as much for Ohio State because you figure it's like, all right, well they can throw it enough, they can run it enough, they have multiple dudes. If you said, oh, they have a great shutdown corner, that doesn't scare me for Ohio State. You know, like my my point is like yep. it's kind of a stupid point to make that a great quarterback who might be the number one pick in the draft is a problem for Ohio State. But the thing I'm trying to say is there are a lot of other great players and great things that an opponent might do that would not worry me against Ohio State. This worries me. Yeah, it worries me too if I'm Ohio State. But it's not, it's not also like every time they play this guy, they get smoked. Like they got beat by Watson last year. Obviously, they got beat by Mayfield this year. Um, they beat Mayfield last year or two years ago. They beat Deshaun Kaiser two years ago, they beat Marcus Mariota three years ago. And I thought like in all three of those wins made those NFL quarterbacks look very average. One of those guys was the Heisman trophy winner. And I thought Marcus Mariota was not good at all against Ohio State's defense. And that was in 2014 and everyone's different. Um, But it's kind of the same type of defense. Um, And maybe some of the individual pieces are actually a little better now than they were back then. But I think the point remains that probably the only thing where, Ohio, if Ohio State goes into a game and I think, man, I think they might lose, it's because of the quarterback. 
there's there's nothing else that scares me. Like you said, running back, defense, whatever. It's always the quarterback. A quarterback that can move and a quarterback that can throw is a problem for Ohio State. And you mentioned the difference in Darnold from the first four games to what he is now. I watched the USC-Washington State game where the Cougar defense, coordinated, of course, by Alex Grinch, who we've talked about before, um, did a great job in shutting him down. But then earlier this week, I started watching the Stanford tape from the Pac-12 title game. He looks like a different guy. Like, he looks like that. Now he looked like that guy who is going to probably go number one or number two in whatever year he decides to go into an NFL draft. He just looks like a different guy. The interceptions that were a problem, you said he threw eight in the first four games. He's thrown four since. That's about a four and a quarter touchdown interception ratio. And for Ohio State defense, that doesn't get turn doesn't turn the ball over much on its own. That's not a good thing either. But I think the turnover thing is a point. Because even in the Fiesta Bowl last year, if it weren't for turnovers, who knows what the final score? Like the, the uh, Gary on Conley pick early, and then the Malik Hooker pick, which is maybe the greatest football play I've ever seen, still against a really good quarterback. That was a defense that could make plays on its own, and I don't know if this is a defense that can make plays like that. So now Sam Darnold, I don't know how much pushback there's going to be from the Ohio State pass defense against Sam Darnold. And and what Tim was talking about, if you watch, and you guys can go watch it, just go watch the Stanford game a little bit on YouTube. There's a play very early on where he gets flushed. Maybe not that early. It was early in the in the highlights that I watched. Who knows where it is <laughs> in the game? He gets flushed and rolls right, and the tight end. You can tell it was a. It's a play action. The linebacker in coverage took one step toward the line of scrimmage. The tight end got immediately behind the linebacker. Uh, Darnold ended up rolling out to his right a little bit and just flipped. Like a perfect throw right over the outstretched arm of the linebacker who had been beaten in coverage and was the guy was behind him for like a 35-yard completion. And he just made it look so easy. And there was a little pressure on that play. And it's, I think one of you guys had made the point when we were talking, maybe in the video that didn't air, like Baker, we always say Baker Mayfield's a crazy person, Sam Darnold is being described by a lot of people as like a perfect NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield, by the way, is going to be a great NFL quarterback too. Um, but Sam Darnold, one of you guys said Sam Darnold can move yeah, was me. too. Yeah. Like, and that thing, that's what worried me going into that Oklahoma game for Ohio State is like, hey, you did get pressure. You're The best thing about your defense is the defensive line. The defensive line did its job. But the guy rolled away from pressure – and on the move, made a throw. Mm-hmm. And other than Denzel Ward, and by the way, have as we've seen offenses and quarterbacks throw at Denzel Ward inexplicably this entire year, I'm betting that Clay Helton and Sam Darnold and T. Martin are figuring out a way to not throw at Denzel Ward all the time. And yep. everybody else on Ohio State's defense in coverage, I don't trust. The other corners, I don't trust. The safeties, I don't trust. The linebackers, I don't trust. And I feel like Darnold is good enough that pressure is not going to be enough of an answer. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get just enough. that A lot of these Big Ten quarterbacks, you get pressure on them and it's over. They lose their minds. Except they, for Nathan Stanley, who threw a touchdown pass and Sam Hubbard wrapped around his legs. <laughs> So it's like, okay, you know, like, and if Alex Hornibrook's going to make any plays on you, and Alex Hornibrook's yards per attempt, by the way, is not that bad. Old noodle arm? Old noodle arm. Pushing it downfield? 
<laughs> but like, it's just another level. Like, it's just another level. And I am just envisioning a game where, yes, Nick Bose is in your face. But it doesn't matter. He rolls away, and voila, the running back's open, the tight end's open, the receiver not covered by Denzel Ward is open, and, like, that happens all day. Yeah, I think, I mean, we saw that with Mayfield. They weren't getting consistent pressure on Mayfield because Oklahoma's <laughs> offensive line is really good. Um, but they when they, I don't know if they sacked Mayfield in that game. When they got Mayfield's face, he made, he, he Houdini'd his way out of it, spun out of, spun out of a sack, I think, was running away from people and still completing throws on the run. Um, the one thing, like, USC's offensive line is is kind of suspect, right, Tim? They've only get, Actually, they've only given up 22 sacks all season. Which I'm sure part of that is Sam Darnold not allowing himself to get back there and get sacked. Yeah. And I'm not sure of the quality of defensive lines in the Pac-12. It's very possible this could be the best defensive line USC's face. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. That's sure. the kind of thing, I mean, like, when an Ohio State has faced Oregon twice um, in big games... And I feel like a lot of the storyline for the national championship game going into that was very similar to the way people thought about the Oregon Rose Bowl in 2010, which was sort of like, okay, you have your little fancy (laughs) speed it up little guy offense. Like, wait till you see some real football players. And like part of you is like, all right. We get it. Three yards in a cloud of dust, Midwestern bullcrap. Like, Oregon's a real team, by the way. Let's not... And then it was like, oh, yeah, okay, Ohio State killed them. Like, <laughs> and so, but I don't... But USC's not that. You know, like, USC's not, quite, not no. Oregon. So they're, they're going to have some NFL guys. They do have... They have one guy who was second team, all Pac-12 on their offensive line. Toa Lobodon. Is that right, Tim? Um, Tim, you are, the, you are the official enunciator of the USC roster. <laughs> I, I, when you I say know, um, and we're it's letting USC, we're all dead. Right? I didn't know if that was my official title, although I will say, if you've ever, if you've ever looked at USC depth chart, one thing that impresses me, they have not only just the players' name, they list their Twitter and Instagram handles, I, which is a really cool thing. If you're listening to this podcast and you at some point on your own, for no reason other than being interested in this game, have looked at the USC depth chart already, tweet at Tim, <laughs> at Tim Bielek, and tell him that. Because that's the kind of thing Tim Bielek does. Tim Bielek, if you were not covering Ohio State, is there a chance that on your own, just for the heck of it, you would have looked at the USC depth chart by now? Um, I don't know if I would have found it. I would have like you know looked up a couple things about USC just because I've like even though this kind of this is a meaningless bowl game, I do. Ha- there's still some general general curiosity because I mean these this is the first matchup in the playoff era. No, the second in a row actually. Excuse me, because the second time in two years the two conference champions that didn't go to the playoff are playing each other in a bowl game i think that's that's even though it's not for not obviously not playing for the national championship i find that pretty fascinating because these are the two champs that got left out of the playoff i mean it's absolutely the best bowl game that's not in the playoff yes like it's not even close there's only there's only five conference champs three are in the playoff and the other two are in this game what are you more interested in, Miami, Wisconsin? No, I was trying to think of like a G5 game that was entertaining that I could make a joke about. Yeah. I mean, you get the, Gas- the Gasparilla Bad Boy Mowers Bowl, whatever that was called. Didn't they? Yeah. I, thought, I saw on Twitter on Monday there was like a mowing contest the two teams were having. Yeah. Was... Do the kids get mow? If the kids get lawnmowers, then I'm okay with that. I don't think they get lawnmowers. It's ridiculous. Yeah. By the way, um, I am hopeful. I'm not sure that the opportunity will present itself. But if it does, if for some reason... The like executive director of the Cotton Bowl is made available. 
Oh, the guy at who some makes point, a million dollars? I am absolutely going to ask him, what do you do that makes you worth $1 million a yeah. year to be in charge of an amateur football game? I found our lineman, by the way, Toa Lobendon. Lobendon? What's his Twitter handle? Um, at T underscore L-O-55. His Instagram handle is at God's Warrior. At God's with, Warrior. That's, with two that's R's good. at the end. That's good. Go look at at God's. Go look at his Instagram right now and tell us what's on there. Um, um, all right. So I want to drop some. So that's Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. Good. Mm-hmm. That's our analysis of Sam Darnold. Mm-hmm. Here's Ronald Jones. They're all Pac-12 first team running back. 242 rushes, 1,486 yards, 18 rushing touchdowns. One, two, three, four, five. Let me give you his last five games. That he played. He's missed a couple games this year. Last five games that he has played, 18 carries, 216. 27 carries, 194. 25 carries, 142. 28 carries, 122. 30 carries, 140. Mm. This is a workhorse back that they have leaned on in the second half of the season like crazy. He only had one game in the first first eight games, first nine games. He only had one game where he carried at least 20 times. His last four games, that's 27, 25, 28, 30. They're leaning on this guy. He's an NFL guy. Um, those are big yardage numbers. And deal with that. Like, I, it's just, I just, my main point in this is that Big Ten offenses suck. Yeah, but not all Big Ten. I don't know. Running backs don't scare me for Ohio State. It's, it's. I think it's rare that they have seen this combination of good quarterback and good running back. I'm trying to even think. Like, I mean, Saquon and Trace McSorley. But yeah, but, it, but I think we're all in agreement that Sa- Trace McSorley is not Sam Darnold. I mean, um, would it have been last year? Mixon and, and, and Mayfield, and Mayfield, and that didn't work out all that well. So, I don't know. I guess it makes it a different different kind of beast when there's a quarterback you have to worry about too. But they've played really talented running backs, and like the really talented running back has never been a problem for them. I got another fun. Trivia fact. You started off the segment with a trivia fact, and I got another. Ronald Jones, number five career all-time rushing yards in USC, ahead of Reggie Bush and Lendale White. Are those Reggie Bush records um, including the years they vacated? Yeah, Reggie Bush's official rushing totals are zero. Including all that stuff. He's number five on the list. He's ahead of the juice? Yeah, he's ahead of the juice. He just passed the juice, I believe... At least in the last two weeks of the season. Do you think like USC acknowledged that? Like, or, or is like when you no, have no way. an no. accused murderer, like at the Ohio in the Ohio State press box when they say J.K. Dobbins just passed uh, Robert Smith on the like? Do yeah. they just say like Ronald Jones just passed? Uh, uh, he passed. Uh, <laughs> he don't. He passed OJ. Don't <laughs> tell anyone. <laughs> First, fifth place all time. Um, I didn't say murder. I said accused murder. I said accused murder. Yeah. Yeah. I think I said on this podcast that I saw O.J. Simpson at the Kentucky Derby one time. I've definitely heard that story. Yeah, I don't know if you said it on the podcast or not. All right. So, uh, so okay. Let's, let's theorize this. Do we think that the Ohio State defense can, for lack of a better word, stop USC? Hmm... No. Okay. No. Can the Ohio State offense outscore USC? Yeah. So yeah. 52-49 last year in the bowl game. I'm not saying it's going to be 52-49. I hope but, it is. But can Ohio State win this game 
42-38. Yeah, I think I so. Think, I, I, think so. I think so. And then last year, Penn State had like a big fourth quarter lead and blew it. I think Penn. I think like Penn State was down two touchdowns and then was up two touchdowns and then lost. Yeah, I think that's what it was. And, if, and Ohio State's the kind of team where if they get up two touchdowns with the way they run the football, with the, if J, if JT Barrett's healthy, which we assume he's going to be healthy, you assume with that running attack that even if Sam Darnold and USC is able to cut it to one possession, that they'll lean on that running game. They can salt that thing away. Yeah, exactly. Pretty easily. They're not. They're not a team that has historically blown leads. Penn State's done that twice in two years. I don't know if Ohio State can be that kind of team. So I think if it comes down to a shootout. Ohio State's got a better chance to win a shootout than a low-scoring game, I think, in this matchup. Yeah, I agree. I don't know, man. You guys are all in on Ohio State winning a shootout. Points on points on I points. Think they, I think you asked if they could win a shootout. I think they could certainly win a shootout. You don't, yeah. I think they, can they score 38 points against USC? What's USC's defense? Like 17th in the country? USC's defense, uh, I know. Exactly. They have given USC is probably like the fifth best defense Ohio State will have seen this year, or third, fourth best. They've allowed twenty six point three points a game, given up about um, thirty two hundred passing yards. That equates to about two hundred some a game. Rushing wise, I think they're in the mid fifties in rush defense, which I think screams a lot of JT Barrett and J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber running the football a lot. I think. If, if Ohio State sees that, they'll want to lean on that, I think. I can imagine that being a major part of the game plan. Ohio State scored 27 against Wisconsin. Scored 31 against Michigan. Killed Illinois. Killed Michigan State. Michigan State scored 24 against Iowa. Crazy rally to score 39 against Penn State. Like, they've had, they had that blowout stretch in the middle of the year, for sure. Mm-hmm. Scored 16 against Oklahoma. Um... I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know if they can. If they can win a game in the forties. I don't know. I would be a little surprised if they could do that. Well, USC's defense tied sixtieth in the country in points allowed, so it's it's not definitely not going to be the best defense Ohio State's faced this season. Although USC does have some good players on defense. I mean, I think they can. They they were whatever it was against Wisconsin. They had uh, a dropped touchdown, and JT missed two wide open touchdown throws, and then they had the other turnover. So they were they left like they leave points on the board, I think. So if you if you're just saying they're going to leave points on the board because that's what they've done a lot, then I guess you can say they're not going to get the forty. But as long as they don't do that, I think they can win a game in the forties. I feel like you guys just are completely overlooking Uchenna Nwosu. It's like you have no respect. Is it fair to say, Bill Landis, that you have no respect for Uchenna Nwosu? He plays for USC. He does. What position does he play? He is uh, an out- linebacker. He's an outside linebacker. He's like th- second or third on their team in sacks. They call him the Sam Hubbard of the West Coast. Is he better than Manti Teo? <laughs> I don't know. Is his girlfriend real? Yeah. I don't know, man. No, I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm not going into this game thinking that nothing – full honesty, like I have not studied USC all that much. I've watched them a few times during the year. But when this matchup was announced, I wasn't thinking to myself, oh, man, I wonder if Ohio State can score on USC. It was all, can Ohio State stop Sam Darnold? So my, I don't have any fear of Ohio State not scoring points. I'm going to say like five things in a row that all conflict, that are all my possibly my opinions. I'm not playing like which thing is not, is not really my opinion. It's that they're just not fully formed opinions. Mm-hmm. But I think, these, I, think, I think all these things. Okay, the first one is Ohio State should have gotten in the playoff ahead of Alabama. The second thing is, 
I think if Ohio State played Alabama, Ohio State might win. Okay? Mm-hmm. Third thing is, I definitely think Alabama might win the national title. Yeah. And the fourth thing is, I think USC is going to beat Ohio State. Mm. Well, what's the fifth? It's only four. I lost track. Merry Christmas. Like all those, like, right? It's like Ohio State is better than Bama. Bama's going to win the national title. Ohio State can't beat USC. I think all those things can be true. Yeah, because it, you're banking on, like, totally locked in Ohio State beating Alabama. Right. And not so totally locked in Ohio State. And, like, State matchup stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, possible. When it comes down to the, about the top five, top six teams in the country, it really is all about matchups. It's not so much, like... You know, you're the number one team. You should easily beat the number four team. No, it's matchups. It's always matchups. When the teams are close like this, when, you know, the talent is, the talent margins razor thin, it comes down to matchups. And, right, I kind of in agreement, I'm in agreement with you guys that USC offensively is just not a good matchup for most teams. Because, I mean, who has the defense that's going to stop a guy who will likely be a number one NFL draft pick? And, again, he has been stopped at times this year. You point out what? Well, tell them the stats against Washington State. Washington State again. Alex Grinch. Everybody is reporting is coming to Ohio State. He's Washington State's defensive coordinator. So if they're saying Grinchy boy, we're going to be dropping five or six hundred k on you in the new year. Let's get that how to stop Sam Darnold scouting report done now because nobody stopped Sam Darnold better than Washington State this year. What do you do? Fifteen of twenty nine. For 164 yards, an interception, and a lost fumble. He did have two rushing touchdowns. Ronald Jones had a great game, though. 14 carries, 120 in a touchdown. But really, that was, I think, the the low point of Darnold's season. After that, he really took off. But there was something in that game that the Cougars did defensively that really interests me. And I'm sure Urban, Shiano, and company will be just watching that film on loop to see what exactly they did to really frustrate Darnold. But they did was have the Grinch, man. It's all about the Grinch. Plus, you don't just go in the Pullman and win, you know? <laughs> all right, should we do questions? Mm-hmm. Sure. <clears throat> you guys are more optimistic about Ohio State's chances than I am. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I, I, like, I still I, – I was pretty certain last week I was going to pick USC, and now I'm not totally sure who I'm, who I'm picking. All right. And then optimistic Tim is optimistic. He's got Ohio State by 60. <laughs> At Robbie Strock, this is a question we can't answer because we don't know anything. Is there a coaching advantage in this game? I'm unfamiliar with USC coaches, as are we, especially since Helton is taking over. I don't know. I mean, T. Martin was talked about. Here's one little tidbit, and I definitely did this. We did our bull pick'em. Hopefully, you guys are in the bull pick'em. Um, I'm sorry that you, if you did the bull pick'em on Cleveland.com with us. I'm sorry, it's like we don't have a way to like for you guys just to see the upstated standings all the time, but I'm going to do posts periodically about like who's leading. Yeah. So I'm going to try to do one this week after the Lane Kiffin Bowl tonight. Um, if there was a thing called the Lane Kiffin Bowl and you didn't know it, you would just think Lane Kiffin is the name of like some southern grocery store. Yeah. It's like, you guys go down to Lane Kiffin, get some cheese, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. so I that, do all my shopping at Lane Kiffin. Yeah. <laughs> the Lane Kiffin Bowl is tonight. So I might update it then. Um, what was my point to that? Just that, I think. I hope you did our bowl pick'em. Yeah, we don't know. I don't. Know, I oh, here's here's the thing I was gonna say though. Go ahead with the bowl, with the bowl thing. I guess. No, he just has. There was a coaching advantage. Yeah. So USC's quarterbacks coach is Clay Helton's younger brother. 
His name is 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 uh, Dirt. Tyson Helton. Tyson Helton. Tyson Helton. Dirt. Yeah, Dirt. Clay, Clay, oh, Dirt, Clay and Mud. Yeah. <laughs> um, we know people. Katie has friends from Iowa who named what did who def, named their kid. I have to go ask her now. In the family, there the boys' names were Buck and Brick, and then their sister's name was Jenny. But then when Jenny had kids, they named them interesting things. Hmm. And it's not mulch, but we always say that their kid's name is mulch. Were they also named after building materials? Yeah, yeah. but I think mulch would be a great name. Yeah, like mulch. if Clay Helton's brother was named Mulch. Mulch Helton. Mulch Helton. I can't believe they don't call His name's Tyson. They don't call him Tyson. They call him Mulch. <laughs> and Mulch is now the Tennessee offensive coordinator, by the way. Well, they probably only call him Mulch if the offense struggles or has a bad day. Yeah. Mulch! The fans will Get call, over here! The fans will call him Mulch. Sam Darnold, yeah, had a crappy game against they, Washington State. They called him mulch that week. T. Martin, I believe, is their offensive coordinator. And the defensive coordinator, Cl- Clancy Pendergast, actually just looked it up. Clancy. You can't be a football coach named Clancy, can you? I, I looked it up. He was actually the defensive coordinator at Cal when they played Ohio State five years ago. Also put on a dynamite R&B album. Really? Like six years ago. You know what was the crazy thing about that game five years ago? Jared Goff was the quarterback. Oh, Cal? Yeah. 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 It was like Jared Goff's second game. Ever. And I actually, if kind of a small tangent, we'll get back on. Tangent? We'll get on the track. I mentioned, I actually have a photo from that game. I mentioned Cal 2013 is the worst team Cal's had in my slideshow, my super mega slideshow of every team's worst season since 1950 ranked. I selected that 2013 Cal team as Cal's worst. You know what would be a fun spinoff of the every worst season every team's had? How many times Ohio State has played a team during its worst season? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Coincidentally, yeah, for real. Yeah. I know, and if you did a list of like the 50 best MAC seasons in history, Ohio State has never always, played one of those teams. It's always the year after they play Ohio State yeah. or the year before, yeah. Yeah. Like they never got like they never got Ben Roethlisberger. They never got P.J. Fleck. They got they Fleck. Got, oh, they, Fleck is a coach on as a player, yeah. They did get Fleck? Yeah, two years ago. 2015, they played – remember they played Western Michigan and Hawaii and looked awful against both of them? P.J. Fleck, Fleck? Fleck had like a super inspirational uh, speech for his team that was shown on ESPN before the game, and then they got their butts kicked. Wow. Is P.J. Fleck going to be end up being a good coach at Minnesota or no? No. I think he – By the way, I have something to say about the bowl picks, by the way. Guess who picked against Purdue in their bowl? Hmm. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> hey. If you said to Tim Bielek, Tim Bielek, who's the best college fo- who's the best football coach at any level in America? You could say Bill Belichick, you could say Chuck Kyle, you could say anybody. He'd say Jeff Brom. He picked Purdue to lose to Middle Tennessee. No, who's- Arizona. Arizona. You picked him to lose to Arizona? Khalil Tate. Disrespect. Yeah. What did you Purdue think Jeff not Brom have? can't beat oh, disrespect. Are they playing in the Cactus Bowl? They're playing, I, I want to say it's like, I don't remember what the name is. In, it's in San Francisco, something like the Farms. Oh, Foster Farms. Farms Foster Farms Bowl. Like, yeah. Foster I, I Farms talk, is the same company that owns Foster Farms, owns Lane Kiffin. Yes. They just change it. They yeah. change the name depending on <laughs> what part of the country. It's like it's Hardy's in. and Carl's yeah. Jr. And yeah. I mean, as I will say about Jeff Brown, as good as the job he's done, Khalil Tate. That's why I picked Arizona. Khalil Tate will win that game by himself, I think. Maybe question you as a person to be like, yeah. I saw that. Eh, if Khalil Tate runs for 200 yards and three touchdowns. He's optimistic, Tim. No one ever accused him of being loyal. Wow. <laughs> um, coaching advantage is equal. You know, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Have you done that in your life where, like, you do the matchup breakdown for a game and it's like, 
offense, defense, coaching, yeah. and it's like I don't know. I have no idea equal. how do you even quantify that. Yeah, equal, <laughs> equal. Um, and then it's always intangibles. Yeah. <laughs> don't you don't you mean hashtag intangibles? Oh my god! I mean, Urban's got three national championships, and Clay Helton has zero. So maybe that can be the deciding factor. Austin Hennig, who is my uh, Twitter brother, also a quarterback at Purdue. Austin Hennig, who previously asked. Um, if like if if JT Barrett was a was a holiday food, what food would he be? And I said we've actually done this already. Yeah. And I said he's turkey. And Austin Hennig and I it showed we were on the same page. He asks if the Cotton Bowl was a food, what would it be, and what topping is JT Barrett to that food? Wow, that's deep. That's so here's what the Cotton Bowl is: the Cotton Bowl is on the buffet. They have like some beautiful chicken, and um, like you can't believe it, but they really have like like sometimes steak on a buffet is terrible, but this steak like it's steak tips mm-hmm. and like a nice sauce, and it looks really good. And right as you get up to the buffet, they run out of the chicken and they run out of the steak, and then there's like um, ham steak next to it. Mm. The cotton bowl is ham steak. And you thought, because Ohio State thought they were getting some nice white meat chicken, although you guys like dark meat, or some steak tips, and then Alabama got the steak tips, and they said, have some ham steak, Ohio State. And uh, JT Barrett is uh, the whipped cream on the ham steak. No, I don't Ooh. know what that means. I thought you were going to say, like, because I think you could, be, you could be in line at the buffet, and obviously the two, the two choice meats you were talking about are the, are, can be the playoff games. Yeah. But then, like, they go away. And then, like the the quality, the overall quality of the buffet comes down. But then, all of a sudden, you're left with some pizza, and like they just wheel out, they wheel out a pepperoni pie, and that's the cotton ball. You're like, man, I didn't show up for pizza. I can't believe I paid this much for pizza. And then you eat the pizza. You're like, man, this pizza's pretty good. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. I think this pizza might be better than the steak. I give. It wow, <laughs> I could go there with yeah. that. Yeah, here I'll give a, a similar analogy to a restaurant. Imagine you have like two restaurants you want to go to. One you can't get into because it only takes reservations, and the other's got a two hour wait. And then you go to another restaurant that you sort of like, and there's no wait. But you turn out, turns out that food is one of the best meals you've had in a while. And you're like, man, why don't I come here that much anymore? That's kind of what the convo feels like. You want to go to the two really good restaurants, but you're not able to get there. But So you go to the third place, and it still ends up being really good. I don't know. I, But I'm not, I'm not going to participate in too much of a discussion where it's like, this is close to being as good. Either your pizza discussion or your other restaurant discussion. No, I don't. I don't mean, I, and that's part of why the reason I'm talking entertainment uh, value. Okay, more than I, I think am, like part of the reason I'm picking USC. I'm going to pick USC. I'll tell you. Hmm, spoiler alert <laughs> is I think Ohio State's going to have a huge letdown. I think it's really hard to sit and watch that show and be because they didn't. I don't think they thought they were going to see their name pop up. I think they were pretty sure they were going to see their name yeah. pop up. And I know it's a month later, but I don't think, even though it's the best bowl game that's not a playoff game, they think they should be in the playoff. They've been in the playoff. They wanted to avenge a playoff embarrassment. And I just am envisioning a world where the guys who are leaving, it's not that anybody's going to give up, but the guys who are leaving, this isn't the way they wanted to go out. And so... You know, they have the NFL coming up. That's cool. And then the younger guys are already thinking about how they're going to make it different next year. Yeah. And they're 
focus is is we're getting back to the playoff in 2018. And of course, I mean, again, everybody wants to win every game. But you're reading, and I'm reading a lot of stuff because the players say it. So people are writing it about how this is so great and, oh, the great tradition. Nobody is going to say, yeah, this really blows. <laughs> so whenever you read stories, you have to think of, like, what could they have said when they were asked, well, how excited are you for the Cotton Bowl? And then the question is like a leading question. It's like, yeah, there's a great tradition on both sides. And aren't you fired up anyway? Nobody in the history of the world could say no. Yeah. So when you read that story, I mean, it might be true, but it's a coin flip whether it's true or it's not. not because it's the true. only yeah. story that could be written. Because it's the only story they could say. So that's why we don't write that story. Because there's no truth about it. It's the only thing you could say. And I do not think this is going to look like an Ohio State team at its best. And it's just human nature. Mm-hmm. And they are humans. Yeah. I think no, I agree with that. And I think when because when you said I was like, well, they beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl and they look really good. They knew they weren't getting into the playoff. There was no there was no emotional letdown in 2015. They knew they were they were in we're pissed off because we blew it mode in November, and that just carried over through the bowl game. And then I think they wanted and, and this is partly true here, but like that team knew how good it was. Yeah. And they wanted to remind everybody this is what you're missing out on. Cause that team so what what was that team? in that bowl experience, sort of building off of. That was a defending national champion that blew it, shot themselves in the foot, right? Mm -hmm. So they were saying, like, here's a final reminder of what we really are. This team is the team that got shut out in the playoff and is not getting a chance to go back to try to avenge that. So what are they – I mean, like, yeah, we want to prove that we're not the team that got shut out by Clemson, but I just think that what what you said about that that team knew – I just think I do not expect this team to be in the exact same mental frame of mind yeah. that that team was two years ago. And also that team had Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, this team sounds good. Can I play a little devil's advocate? Sure. Who's to say USC players aren't thinking the same thing? Who's to say maybe Ronald Jones and Cameron Smith, who are both draft-eligible guys, aren't thinking the exact same thing? Because they weren't sitting there on Selection Sunday thinking they were in. Well, they can also say, like, we want another Pac-12 championship. Like no one respect. Like maybe they, they. Yeah. Now you're now you're making arguments for why they're going to play well. Well, I mean, I also think like those guys are also. You could say that about every team as well in a meaningless bowl sure, game. Yeah. Juniors that probably don't care that like eh, as long as I don't get hurt, I'm going to go to the NFL and get my money. And Jones and Smith, if they go, will be at the very minimum. I think second, third round picks. Here's my point. There is one team. One team playing in a bowl that thought it was going to be in the playoff. Yes. Purdue. That is <laughs> Peter Sherman. Ah, uh, 22 P- Wallaby way. Love P. Sherman. Do you guys it, ever cook? 40, is it 42 or 22? 40. It should be it, I'm 42. Sure he's right. it's the guy's 40. not going to get his twiddle handle wrong. It's P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby way. Sydney, yeah. Australia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, did I say 42 or you 22? Said you said 24. You said 20. You said, you said <laughs> Let's 20. go back to the tape. 24, 22. P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way. Do you guys ever cook? The knowledge of restaurant menus is so in-depth, it seems like you never make food at home. If so, what is your favorite thing to make? I cook. I like cooking breakfast, uh, mostly. I don't do it all. I don't do it as much as I should. But, yeah, I, I cook a decent amount. I made, um, I'm trying to think, last night, uh, 
I don't know what I was doing. Oh, I had to do like a Facebook Live thing, so then like the normal time to have dinner had passed, and then uh, I got some news on Emory Jones, so I had to write that, and then it was like 10 o'clock, and I hadn't had dinner yet. So uh, I made myself some delicious pierogies at 10 p.m. So did you make a pierogi, or did you heat up a frozen pierogi? Oh, no, I didn't like, I didn't like hand make the pierogi from scratch, but I also just don't like... I don't just get the box of frozen pierogies and like heat them up in the microwave and eat them. Like I saute them in butter and like put some seasoning and stuff on them. Like I make mm-hmm. them, ta- I make them taste pretty good. Yeah. Is it? But is it like a bag of frozen pierogies from like Acme, or is it like it's like a box a, of Mrs. Mrs. T's frozen pierogies. Mrs. T's? Like so, yeah. she's getting the job done. She's yeah. doing it real yeah. old school style. Yes. And then you're helping it along the way with a little love on your end. Yes. Okay, yeah. I respect that. I'm not. I I will not. I'm not a great cook, but I do like cooking. I've once, I, I do cook once in a while. I actually made a pretty good big ziti once in a while, sort of straight from scratch. I mean, obviously had noodles. You make the, your own noodles? No, then that's I mean, not from scratch. Well, <laughs> other than the noodles, everything else. I make is, it. Uh, I get a box the, of noodles and I get the jar of sauce, and that's from scratch. That's not from scratch. Okay. Do you make the sauce? No, but I mean, based. I just mean cooking off a recipe. You know, making it kind of put my own spin on it, my own personal touch. It actually turned out really good. For whatever reason, I just haven't made it since. But uh, Laziness and the fact that you work 24 hours a day. Put a little sugar in the sauce. <laughs> you put good. sugar in the sauce? A little, little. I, I don't, but I've heard that's uh, not a bad idea. Did you make this before football season, Tim, or since football season started? It was a couple years ago. Oh, I haven't, years I haven't ago. made it since. But like, I, I usually <laughs> cook a couple meals a week. Let me say this. When your answer to do you cook much is I made a baked ziti a couple of years ago, your real answer is no. Well, I mean, off that recipe, it's it's a time-intensive recipe because it takes an hour to make. You got to you got to cook the noodles. You got to boil. You got to warm up the sauce. You got to mix everything in. Then you got to toss in the oven for like twenty minutes. It's almost an hour-long recipe. Ooh. I don't know, Doug, if I've ever heard you say the words I cook something. I do not. Re- I really do not cook. I I make. I cut up frozen chicken and mix it with some rice and make chicken and rice sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I make quesadillas every now and then. Um, I make a mean buffalo chicken quesadilla. I haven't made it in a while, though. But I am a, I am a terrible cook um, and a lazy person. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it's a combination. I'm simultaneously lazy and busy. Yeah. And, well, that's basically all. I probably, during football season, I might turn on the oven like six times. Mm-hmm. And then it... it Ramps up dramatically once football season's over. And I will say, and I've told my wife this, my wife does a majority of the cooking in our house, but when we're both busy in the fall, inevitably if somebody has to try to cook, and then it's like there's just a lot going on, and the kids are, you're trying to do this, and everyone gets frazzled. As I continue, I should I would be the spokesman for the chain restaurant industry, mm-hmm. for sure. There is value in not the food, but in the idea of if you can afford it, and I understand I'm throwing a lot of money away, um, flushing money. But I see the value in to go out, sit down, everybody get what, gets what they want. You get a vegetable. Nobody's frazzled by cooking. Like That's the thing. I know some people no enjoy cleanup. no cleanup. There's such value in that to me. Just like an hour of just like family time. Everybody's happy with their food. There's no complaints about, oh, you made this thing. Like, yeah. you know, you guys don't have kids yet. When you're busy and then you someone does make food and the kid says, ah, then it's like then you end up beating people with spatulas. And that's no good for anybody. One thing I want to do is I want to make like a true homemade pizza. Like, I I mean, I've heated up frozen the genres or whatever. I'll, 
I keep I've said this for years, and my fiance can attest to this that just I've wanted to try and make my own like homemade pizza, get my own dough, get like separate dough toppings, and just make it all together, kind of my own way. You should get it um, from scratch from Domino's, <laughs> Domino's, Domino's, Domino's? Lo- lo- local joint. <laughs> I think well, there's other places that I could get it too as well, but I mean, I'm pizza spending... dough scares me. I'm intimidated by trying to toss pizza dough. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't even know about tossing pizza dough. I mean, I. There's some satisfaction, I will say, in cooking a good meal for yourself. I will say that. I find no satisfaction in that, which is part of why. Like, there's no enjoyment to me of it. No part of it is enjoying it, like, of the making. So so I understand that some people, I envy people who do get enjoyment out of that. But the only enjoyment to me is the finished product. And then you look around and you have stuff to clean up. Like, the actual process of, like, I did this, nothing. I can never be Gordon Ramsay, but... I mean, if I had more time, I'd be more inclined to cook a few more things. I think I you do. should make us a beef Wellington for the next Buckeye buck talk. I, uh, I will pass. I could yell at people in a kitchen. That I could do. Yeah. You can <laughs> yell. Tim can cook. Perfect. And then what and do I'll you eat. To do? And you'll eat. I'll eat. Is <laughs> <laughs> this like Iron Chef where like I'm the chef, uh, Doug's the host, and you're the tasting and judgment panel that decides yeah. who wins? Does the host yell at the chef on Iron, Iron Chef? No. Then I don't know. It's, no, it's, it's not Colton Brown. Or you could nice. be that like... The one guy who, like, starts off the show or whatever. All right. Scott King. At Scott underscore King 33. Brisket or pulled pork? People are asking us barbecue questions because we're going to Dallas. Tim already told our barbecue story earlier. But I do think this is an interesting thing because I'm a big fan of the pulled meats. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll probably say pulled pork. Um, Yeah, I pulled pork. Yeah, I go pulled pork. But once in a while, you got to throw a little brisket in there just to change things up. Jordan Steele at the Jordan Steele, loyal listener and tweeter. With it being JT Barrett's last game, which JT do you expect to show up? Heisman JT or good God put in Dwayne Haskins JT? <laughs> which is a tremendous that's way a really, of describing. Yeah, that's good, that's good. And if we will go back, we had like a JT Barrett Heisman discussion on this podcast at one point. I wrote a story that said he was the Heisman favorite. Turns out that was premature. <laughs> um, that's, why you don't, that's why the Heisman trophy isn't decided in October. That, that is a fact. Um... Closer to Heisman, JT. Yeah. Healthier JT than what we saw in the Big Ten title game. Closer to Heisman, JT. Yeah, I'm kind of in that way. I mean, he's obviously going to put, with a few weeks removed from the Big Ten title game, a game that need rest up, we're going to see a much healthier JT. I think he's going to he's gonna want to play with an edge, not just because of the final game, but he's also playing at home, which I think is which I think has to be a really big deal. I, I think that will matter to him. I think he'll yeah. want to put on. Now, the other thing is, the only thing is, I think he's going to want to put on a good show in Texas for his Texas yeah. people in last game. If that makes him like crazy throw three picks, JT, because he's trying to make a play. Yeah, that's that would be the concern. So, oh, I think that guy's dead. He died in Iowa City. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, see, could be true. I do see where you're coming from. The idea of him possibly trying to do too much because he's too amped up. I mean, I could understand that there's certainly a possibility, but I'd lean more towards Heisman-ish JT. At Crease 23, Chris McCormick, is it okay to be more excited for the spring game than the Cotton Bowl? Yeah, I'm more excited for the spring game than the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, part of it is, and I was explaining, I mean, we just know this team so well. And basically that means JT Barrett. But there's just a lot of people. We know they lost the secondary from last year, but this is a very familiar team mm-hmm. from a year ago. Um, and you want something new. I mean, like, people can't... I, Dwayne Haskins versus Tate Martell in the spring game? Are you kidding me? Yeah, and we might. I don't know if Matthew Baldwin's enrolling early yet, but it's possible he's playing in the spring game too. That's allowed. 
Tim, what should you be more excited for? Uh, how, I would as as good as this game I think can be. I'll stay. I'll stay spring game. I mean, Haskins Martell. That's all we really need to say because mm-hmm. yeah. that is going to be probably our, one of our discussions we're going to have for most of our podcasts in the next nine months. Plus, I want to see like it's the freshman. A lot of the freshmen aren't going to play next year, but like Master Teague's enrolling early. Like I want to see Master Teague run the ball in Ohio Stadium in April. Yeah, and see what that looks like. I want to see Jeremy Rucker. Jeremy Rucker. Yeah, I don't know if he's enrolling early or not. I have my list somewhere. I want to see Jalen Harris. I know he's. I mean. Yeah, I mean, just, there's young guys. Yeah, I want to see like what Elijah Gardner looks like, and yeah, there's a yeah, lot. It's, it's going to be interesting because that's. I mean, we've seen the 2016, 2017 class is highly ranked. You know, there's veterans there behind. This is going to be. It's a good chance to see you know what the future looks like and get a gauge for what some of these battles in the in the summer and heading into 2018 are going to look like. I'm very curious. Landis, limit your answer on this. This is the bonus question. I'm going to do it first from Brian Nyerman at b underscore k n i e r m. What are your thoughts on Wawa sandwiches? <laughs> uh, Wawa sandwiches are pretty good. It's far from the best hoagie you can get on on the East Coast. Um, I think for what Wawa is, the the roll is pretty decent. The the deli meats and cheeses, I think, leave a little something to be desired, or sometimes a little processed. But the roll is good. All right. His main question is, what is your the roll is good? Yeah, it's gonna be on your tombstone. The roll is good. <laughs> the roll is good. Or how was the bread? <laughs> Who is your favorite player to interview on this year's team and also all time? Uh, Nick Bosa and Tyvis Powell. No, Nick Bosa this year and Von Bell. Those are yeah. Oh god! Now you're making me miss Von Bell. Yeah, I just gotta make a play. I think it was like I I said Tyvis Powell, and then like envisioned talking to Tyvis Powell and Von Bell was standing next to him. I was like, oh yeah, Von Bell. I mean, I will say, and people have said this, and I think we said that before, that 2014 National Championship team, like, national writers said multiple times, like, that was just a team filled with great guys to talk to. And I remember very specifically, before, it must have been before the Oregon, no, it was before Alabama, asking those guys about winning, like, multiple national titles. And, like, could they build a little mini dynasty here? And thinking about, like, those young guys on that team, like, Eli Apple filled it up on that question. Eli Apple's like, oh, yeah, we're winning two at least. (laughs) This is before before they had – they hadn't even beaten Alabama in the semifinal yet. And Eli Apple said they were winning two. But, like, as I thought about that story, because, like, all – for that day, all the starters were sprinkled all over that field, right? Mm -hmm. They were all there, yeah. It's like 22 guys. And it's like – sometimes you would look at that and be like, okay, there's, like, four or five guys I want to get. It's almost like – you almost talked like – like, there's, like, 18 guys that if I ask – can you be a mini dynasty? There are like 18 out of these 22 guys who are going to give me like interesting, non-cliched answers. So that was um, that was really that was a really good team. I'll say Nick Bosa is great, and I made that point the other day. He's mm-hmm. so honest; he doesn't care. He knows he's good, and he's not afraid to say it. Billy Price loves to talk to us. Yeah, um, we're very appreciative of that. We're going to miss him when he's gone. He's a really smart, interesting guy that'll talk about anything. He's really good about talking about other guys. Um, and I, my, my all-time guy, and I've said this a million times, is Malcolm Jenkins, mm-hmm. who the Malcolm Jenkins that you see now and like his, what he wants to do socially, I think is like sort of changing the fabric of the NFL that I'm not getting into a political ba- a debate about any of that, but, but in that discussion, Colin Kaepernick did something that created a movement, but you needed someone to help shape that movement, especially with Colin Kaepernick out of the league. 
And Malcolm Jenkins has done that. Mm-hmm. And that is the Malcolm Jenkins that was showing up when he was 20 years old. Like, I, I've said it a thousand times here, and I'll keep saying it. Best combination of absolutely smart, great interview, and when he steps on the field, he'll kill you. And that's why I respected him so much as a person and as a player. Great guy to talk to. I think Joshua Perry reminds me a little bit of that, too. Yep. Yeah. So, who do you got, Tim? Um, first year on the beat, who do you got? I'm going to go this year. I know who you're going to say. Uh, well, first, before I say my answer, I will say this year I've enjoyed talking to Jalen Holmes a bunch. I did a whole story oh. just on his Love story about That's coming to Ohio State. Saying. I thought it was incredibly, he was incredibly candid about that. I really enjoyed it. And the guy I'm looking forward to talking to next year and possibly beyond, B.B. Landers. Oh, I, oh, I the the Piesman... I'm going to call it the Peisman press conference. The the denied Peisman press conference after the Indiana game might be an all timer. I think it was really good. I'm when BB. I'm expecting BB to be the starter on the defensive line, which means probably going to get to talk to him every other week. I almost want to be there every <laughs> single time just to hear what he says because yeah. he's a great talker. He's honest and he can he's dropped some fun lines out there. The best was when he was like, "People keep calling me fat." He's like, "I'm not fat. I'm just a little thicker on the edges." Yeah. I rewatched that the other day, other day. I just because I just found that so interesting. It is. He's gonna be. He's gonna be a good player next year. We're gonna, yeah. as you said, we're gonna talk to him a lot. Yeah. Walter Hickman at W A H three R D. The over under on Ohio State underclassmen is five point five. What are you taking? I'm assuming that means guys leaving. And I think Ooh. when we had done, you can go back and find it from senior day. The underclassmen. We did a prediction of who we think was gonna leave. I think we were like right around that. I think one of us said seven, one said six, and one said five, or something like that, or. Or one said seven and two said six, so it's right around there. I th- oh, can I just I'm just gonna like run for I think Denzel Ward's gonna leave. I think Jerome Baker's gonna leave. I think a receiver is going to leave. Uh, maybe two. I'll say two. So that's four. Mm-hmm. Hubbard. Um, Hubbard is gonna go. That's five. Weber. Weber. I think Weber goes at six. I think Draymond stays. Because um, Nick Bosa told Nick us he's saying. So. <laughs> um, and I don't even know. I don't uh, like Kendall Sheffield, Damon Arnett. No, no. Um. Yeah, that's probably it. I think I'm at six. I forget the what I exa- said exactly in the list, but right now in my head I'm at six. Dante Booker, which I don't know. I, I his, just don't his know situation is yeah, it's, it's kind of strange. I don't know if he can grad transfer somewhere. Maybe that would be NFL. I don't maybe, know. Maybe I don't know. Um, I'd say over five point five. Yeah, I think, I think over, I'd say six too, yeah. without counting it down. Yeah. yeah, I think there could definitely be a surprise. Of that group, one way or the other, I will say six. Kind of, I'm kind of in agreement with you, Bill, on most of the guys you picked. I think we can end up being really shocked by what happens with the receivers. I, I, that's not inside information, but I think it's not. You complete. think like Johnny Dixon, Terry McLaurin, and Paris like, Campbell could all go? Like I think and KJ Hill. I think if, I, I don't think all four are going to go, but it is not off the table in my mind that all four go. You should write that, Evan Imel. This is a good question. I have a good answer to it. Maybe we all have the same thing, but I don't know if people are thinking of it this way yet. What's the best non-traditional? rivalry in college football oh he says non-traditional or bowl related rivalry in college football i.e ohio state usc notre dame miami stuff like that Mm. he's saying not bowl related i'm not gonna i'm not gonna include that part because this is what i think it is alabama clemson Alabama Clemson's pretty good. I thought it was like shaping up to be Ohio State Alabama, and then it didn't happen. So, like, yeah, that's like, probably Clemson, another story or, to write. Like, Clemson has stolen Ohio State's place in college football. Yeah, Notre Dame Miami's good because I like when they get all to, into the Catholics versus convict stuff, and like yeah. you get they show the thirties, thirties, and stuff like that. But no, the stakes right now of Alabama versus Clemson, I think, make it number one. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be the game. I think no matter who you root for, everybody's going to be watching that game for a multitude of reasons. Every there's so many different faces in that game. It, 
And considering the last two meetings, mm-hmm. it's hard not to be excited to see what happens in round three. Can I uh, remind me to write that? Yeah. How Clemson stole Ohio State's place in college football. Yeah. Because when we did true. Buck Dynasty, when we thought Ohio State would be, is what Clemson is. Mm-hmm. Which is the number one rival on equal footing with Alabama. Yep. Ohio like if you said right now, rank the best college football programs right now, you cannot put Ohio State second. No, no way. No. Third. And two years ago, you would have said Ohio State's if, – if we would have said in 2015, two years from now, what's it going to be? You'd say, yeah, it's going to be Alabama and Ohio State. And, and it's I not, think you might even yeah. say Ohio State could be one because it felt like they were tr- like trending in opposite directions a little bit. Yeah, it's not – The way I look at it, definitely Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, then after that – I think there's a drop-off. It's clear there's like three superpowers and everybody else is just battling for fourth. At Jason33, he wants to know, he, he's setting the over-under on, on how many times Sam Darnold gets sacked at 3.5. You take an over or under? Under. I agree. I mean, you. I pointed out earlier, USC's only given up 22 sacks all season. Darnold can run. He's mobile. He's going to be a tough guy to bring down, even though Ohio State has an outstanding defensive line. Under. Have you ever tried the spaghetti warehouse in Columbus? No, I went the one in Philadelphia, though. He's recommending the sourdough bread and garlic butter is better than the Olive Garden breadsticks. Um, I love the spaghetti warehouse. I've been one time, one after my confirmation in sixth grade, spaghetti warehouse in Philadelphia. Uh, we went there, we sat down, my grandfather thought the food was terrible, and we left. Could you eat your food? No. It, he, your grandfather started to he eat. He is his. super aggressive in restaurants. I saw that man one time pull like a a lukewarm French fry that he swore was ice cold out of the basket on the table, pick up one fry and march back to the kitchen with it to put it in someone's face and tell them it was cold. <laughs> Needless to say, I don't go to restaurants with my grandparents anymore. You, he tried his food, said this is crap. You didn't even get to eat, and everybody had to leave. Everybody left. This is the your grandfather. This is the what the father of your father. Yeah. He's William William Landis uh, Jr. What are you? Technically, I'm the fourth, but my mom changed my middle name so that I couldn't have to put the fourth numeral after my name. Really? So they're all William Mark, and I'm William Michael. Wow. Yeah. Bold stroke by your mom. Yeah. Do you? Would you be okay being Quattro? I knew a fourth one time. When I tried to start calling him Quattro. He wasn't. No, I kind of liked it. It's a little different. Yeah. 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 Your, so your jersey won't say Landis IV on the back of it, right. will it? It will not, no. Okay. Uh, I will say I've never been to Spaghetti Warehouse in my life. There's a trolley inside, right? There's a trolley inside. Yeah. And they have like old-fashioned like dentist chairs and stuff. <laughs> and then they have like candy sticks for dessert. Mm-hmm. You've never been there. I have never Seems been like there. like a Beelik kind of yeah, place. I've never been there, but, you know, saying that gar- something is better than Olive Garden breadsticks is a pretty lofty expectation, I will say that. Mm-hmm. It is the butter. The garlic butter is really good there. We go there. Uh, that's like a special place for us to go. But a great day in Columbus. If you're in Cleveland and listening to this, or if you're in Columbus, you've probably done it. But the Spaghetti Warehouse is like right across the parking lot of COSI, mm-hmm. like the science, the Kids Science Museum. COSI and Spaghetti Warehouse, it's a great day for the family. Wow. The Lay Marises have done that multiple times. You go to COSI first and then the Spaghetti Warehouse, or do you get yeah. a bowl full of pasta and then go like look at starfish? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, that would be like, where's Dad? Why can't Dad <laughs> see the starfish? He's in the bathroom. <laughs> He's in food coma mode. This is a tremendous, a cr- tremendous question from at Brock Doctor, who it makes me want to go like right now and and find the answer to this. 
Is the number of Buckeyes who were drafted this year higher or lower than the maximum number of White Castle sliders or Taco Bell tacos you can eat in one sitting? The maximum number of White Castle sliders I can eat in one sitting is zero because they're gross. So I would uh, also eat the tacos. How many tacos do you think you could eat, though, if we did it at Taco Bell? Oh, probably. Like, if I was, like, really going for it? Yeah. Like, between 15 and 20, probably. Yeah, I don't think they're going to have 20 guys drafted. Uh, are they going to have 20 guys drafted, Brock Doctor? Then it's the tacos. Yeah. Could you eat 20 tacos, Tim? No, I could may- <laughs> maybe in one sitting I could get to three, I oh think. Oh, my what? God. I wouldn't. Pu- All right, I'm not we're the, doing this. I'm not, the kind of, I'm not the kind of person that, like, will try and eat so much that I desire to get myself sick. Yeah, I, but that's I, not the point. The point is if you're pushing yourself to your physical limits, how much can you eat? The point is if you're trying to figure out, like, if you're trying to make um, Liam McCullough get drafted yeah. for the Buckeyes to beat you, then you've got to eat one more taco. <laughs> If I'm sitting down to eat tacos, though, I'm I'm eating minimum six if I'm sitting down to eat tacos. And that's just on a normal day when I'm not feeling gluttonous. Let me say this. If I'm sitting down to eat tacos, I very quickly will be standing up. (laughs) Visual Ambassador. Love you, Viz. He's got a couple here. Oh, he's got food and and football. We're going to have to end soon. Can the Senior Bowl significantly help draft stock of any Ohio State players? Yeah. Who's going so far, Tim? Uh, Tyquan Lewis and Jalen Holmes. I feel like Holmes' stock can really be boosted because he's the fourth defensive line, but I think there's a lot There's a lot of ability there. There's versatility because he's played defensive tackle some this year. He's got great size to play defensive end. I feel like among all the guys, not just the ones that we know are going now, but just in general, I feel like he can gain a lot. Like He can... Yeah. really improve his draft stock. So the Senior Bowl, the Senior Bowl is important. It's not always the, the best players. Sometimes the, the best guys go, but I think it's it's certainly a platform for guys to prove themselves. I think it's possible like Jalen Holmes dominates the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. So totally I would not, not I would not be surprised by that at all, Tim. Um, but if it's him and, and Taekwon going, I don't know. Like I'll be interested to see if JT gets an invite. Are they, are they done giving out invites? I think they, they are. They give so them out. JT didn't. But, get, well, they're, I don't. They're not done giving out invites, but I think their quarterback spots are almost full. They they award them out on Mondays, so I'll be curious to see uh, whether he goes there or whether he goes to the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl with Marcus Ball and Michael Hill. I mean, that's and a, like where like I don't know what Billy's going to do. I don't know what Jamarco's going to do. I don't think Billy has to go. Elfline did not go last year. No. So a lot of times your agent tells you what to do. You don't know. Yeah. But a lot of times people are like, why didn't you go? And it's like, well, my agent told me not to go. Right. And you listen to your agent because that's yeah. what you're paying him for. So I also think Taekwon Lewis. Is might be in a vortex of. I think it's possible that people might think Tyquan Lewis is a good player, maybe not that athletic, like a work hard, good teammate kind of guy. So I think whenever he can get out and like show his skills, I think that might be good for him. I think it's possible. Like I would guess, if you had to guess who's more quote athletic, like who will do better at the combine, would you say Jalen Holmes or Tyquan Lewis? Jalen Holmes. I think a lot of like. We would, right? Even though Tyquan Lewis is more famous, he has more awards, he played more, he has better stats, we would say Jalen Holmes. Because yeah. I think our impression is that like maybe Tyquan Lewis won't kill it in situations like that. So I think it might be interesting for Tyquan Lewis to like kill it at the Senior Bowl to either dis- be more athletic than people think, and I think maybe scouts would think the same thing, or to establish such a baseline that if he doesn't test through the roof at the Combine – there would be people from the Senior Bowl who would say, this guy's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, he's not going to be a first-round pick, but it's like, you got to take Tyquan Lewis in the third round. He's going to make your football team better. Don't get hung up on the numbers. Yeah. Because we saw him at the Senior Bowl, and he busted his butt, and he's a really good player. Yeah. 
Viz also then is asking how many episodes we're going to have next week. So this is we have this midweek one, and then no weekend one with Christmas, right? No weekend one with Christmas, and then we'll have the first one starting next week, next Tuesday. We're going to do them every day, so we'll have one Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You're going to have one Tuesday. Well, we'll do it Tuesday. It won't. It won't be up in the morning, right? We'll do it. Okay. Okay. We'll do it after interviews every day. So it'll be like two, next week. So Christmas is Monday. So we'll expect podcasts Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, and then a post game one late Friday night slash Saturday morning. Although we're not traveling too early, um, so maybe we'll do it Saturday morning and put yeah. it up Saturday. So we'll got you covered next week, but don't we won't have one this weekend. Also, Viz with the food one, and then we'll, man. All right, last two. Viz, McDouble or Double Stack? Double Stack's Wendy's? Yeah. I eat like six McDoubles a week, so I probably have to say McDoubles because they're cheaper. No, they're not cheaper. The Double Stack. The the double, no, I think they're both the same price, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think Wendy's burgers are a little better. I'll say Double Stack. Yeah, I kind of agree. I'll go Wendy's double stack. This is, okay, um, ham, turkey, steaks, or something else for Christmas slash Christmas Eve dinner from Viz. Oh, we don't do, like, we have a party. Like, we, we get kind of rowdy. Who has a party? My dad. Nice. Yeah, so it's not, like, there's food, but it's not, we're not sitting down and, and, and eating. We're Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Christmas Eve. Chris, like, Christmas Eve has replaced Christmas, because actually, this will be the third year in a row that I'm actually traveling on Christmas Day for the bowl game. Um I say with Ari's parents the last two years. Shout out to Ari's parents. Um, so we uh, we party pretty hard on Christmas Eve. Like go till four o'clock in the morning, and there's not a sit down dinner. We're uh, we're we're boozing it up pretty good. Nice. <laughs> what's your what are your what's the Christmas dinner plan, Felix? Um. Well, every year we get a honey baked ham. Nice. Ooh, we nice. usually just get like a nice quarter ham. It's usually just me, my parents, and now my fiance. Last year, and my mother makes some homemade mashed potatoes. Ooh. We have different all kinds of different stuff, and it's. Always good. The ham usually we lasts about five days. Nice. Like between because we that's the best man. Leftover ham sandwich, love it. Or even just straight up ham for like you, you just pick at the ham. Yeah, we'll yeah. open the fridge, grab some ham. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's gonna be lunch for like lunch and dinner for like two at least two days after Christmas. Glenn doesn't hog all the ham. No, we we get enough for four people. Plus, my mother always makes like these really great homemade Christmas cookies that are like. From her mother's recipe. I might come to your place. Nice. They're like frosted sugar cookies in the shape of like Christmas trees and Santa Claus, Christmas stars, ornaments, you name it. She she always makes a ton, although her rule is you're not allowed to eat them until Christmas Day. Really? <laughs> Screw that. Hardcore. What's your mom's name? Uh, Charlene. I respect Charlene's yeah. strict uh, attention to detail. Um, we're getting the Giordano's pizzas for Christmas dinner. Really? Because we don't want to have to rush because I'm flying on Christmas Day too. Yeah. So we don't want – and of course we're not going to cook. So we don't want to have to like rush out to a restaurant. So we're going to get the frozen Giordano's ahead of time and then make them. Sweet. Uh, All right. This is it. Oh, no. This is two more. Viz also asked, does Shea Patterson transferring to Michigan make them a clear top two team in the Big Ten? I will say I just don't think this is – like, for the long-term health of Michigan, because I did a big thing about Michigan's quarterbacks before the Ohio State-Michigan game this year, and I talked to Brandon Peters' high school coach and Dylan McCaffrey's high school coach, and then they had this, I think it's Joe Milton is the kid mm-hmm. who's in their, their class who's going to enroll early. And it's like they were finally stacking up some quarterbacks like they're talking about with Ohio State, and now they added another graduate transfer after going with 
uh, Jake Rudock after bringing in John O'Corn, yeah. after Wilton Spate was left over from the other guys. It's like Jim Harbaugh, quarterback master, again, is going a transfer route. And so I guess you don't turn that kid down. He's a Toledo kid who went to Ole Miss. The sanctions there gave him the chance to leave, although he still has to petition. It's not a yeah. locked-in certainty that he's going to get to play next year. So you don't turn that kid down. I guess he thought about going to Michigan. He might have gone to Michigan to begin with, but I think he was caught in the Hoke Harbaugh vortex. Yeah. So you don't turn that kid down, but I thought finally Harbaugh was going to get to like, okay, here we go. Here are my guys. I'm going to re- recruit. I'm going to choose, recruit, and develop a quarterback. Just like you're supposed to do. And like he's delaying that again. And I get it. you got to win and you don't. All right, you, you don't turn down a great player. I just think it's odd that this is where Michigan is. It is weird. I think it puts a lot of pressure on Harbaugh. And I don't think I, – I think it would take an awful lot for him to ever have weak job security. But if you do this again and you underachieve again, I think it puts Jim Harbaugh in a really tough spot. I think what's going to be interesting to see if he's healthy, how Brandon Peters plays in the Outback Bowl. If he lights it up, it's going to be hard for Patterson if he's eligible to – win that starting job because when Peters play he's coming to be the starter man he's not I disagree with that you don't think it's gonna be a battle I think the five-star former number one quarterback in the country is not coming to a place where he doesn't think he's gonna be the starter I think it'll be a battle but I fully expect that Patterson will win it and if it's a tie Patterson will win it and then does that mean Peters and McCaffrey transfers I don't know I mean someone's got to be a backup quarterback but um I'm just reading a headline that says Shea Patterson's attorney has no plans to sue the NCAA for his client's eligibility. I actually put that was in my breakfast on Tuesday morning. If you go check out Buckeye Breakfast on Cleveland.com, Dennis Dodd did a good job on that. What are his stats? What are Patterson's stats? Um, nothing nothing great. Like, but this guy's a legit dude, right? I mean, was he the best quarterback in the country, yeah. Yeah, like he's a dual. But like, was he good at Ole Miss or no? He was decent at Ole Miss on on a not great team. But he was hurt this year? A little bit. Yeah. Played seven games. Threw for 322 yards a game. 8.7 yards per attempt, which is uh, Sam Darnold territory. Uh, nine picks, 17 touchdowns. I'm curious <coughs> what a guy like him can do with the kind of talent that Michigan will have because next year he's going to have a receiving core of Donovan Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black to throw to. Isn't like everybody back? Michigan. Michigan's super young this year. Isn't most of their team back? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That receiving core, I'm very curious what that offense is going to look like next year because it can look really explosive in the passing attack. I don't know. We're talking about that I think Ohio State next year could be better. I mean, like the Haskins, Dobbins, yeah. Ohio State. Like the Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Ohio State. The um, Jeffrey Okuda, Ohio State. The Baron Browning, Tough Borland, Ohio State. That can, That's going to be a really good team, I think. I'm not 100% sure as we sit here right now, like, who the favorite in the East is. Is it definitely Ohio State? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because Penn State is going to be worse. Okay. All right. Last question. At Bo Watson, 3745. What is the signature tradition associated with the Cotton Bowl? I don't know if he's, like, giving us a trivia question or if he's asking. Because I was thinking about this. I mean, I don't know when the last time... Ohio State was in the Cotton Bowl. We were there for the national championship game, but that wasn't the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. But I have never covered a Cotton Bowl. I was counting it up the other day. This is my 13th year on the beat. I've covered five Fiesta Bowl slash national title games that were at the Fiesta Bowl. Three Sugar Bowls, one Gator Bowl, one Orange Bowl, 
one Rose Bowl, one year they were banned, and now one Cotton Bowl. So we've been to Dallas for that national championship game, but that was a quick little thing. So I don't know, like, I don't know what they're going to roll out for, like, you know, at the, at the at the Sugar Bowl, they always have, like, the Dixieland band, the, the New Orleans jazz band, like, greeting people. Yeah. And then at the Fiesta Bowl, they always have, like, a mariachi band, mariachi band yeah. greeting you. Who's the band? Who's the band that greets your plane? I think it's just a really big bull. A really big bull? Yeah, like a giant steer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Jerry Jones, you just come out and, like, creepily, like, um, shake your hand. Yeah. Like... I don't know. So I don't know what the answer to that is. And who is the softest team playing in the Cotton Bowl? Softest? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I hate that. He's soft? Yeah. What, like, like, he means like which team at Ohio State or USC is softer? I guess. I have no idea. I don't even know how to quantify softness. Yeah, how do you, how do you even determine that? I don't know. I'm looking at Bo. He hasn't been on Twitter long. He is in favor of net neutrality, though. Mm. So, I don't know. I'm soft, so I should be able to pick out soft teams, but I can't tell. I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. That fizzled. Yeah, fizzled a little bit. Fizzled there at the end. All right, Merry Christmas, Buckeye Talk people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to sing for Bill. You don't have to sing for me. Uh, One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Landis. Happy birthday to you. How old are you? 29. Did you get anything? I got a cake. Got a Mickey Mouse car from my grandmother that had stickers in it. Um, I think that's it. What uh, kind of cake did you have? Yellow cake, chocolate icing. Oh! Have we discussed this before? The only kind of cake to have. I don't think so. I would murder every other cake (laughs) in the world. Yellow cake with chocolate icing is... The only cake worth having. Oh, my God. Is it wrong that I like the inverse? Yes. Uh, Is that... (laughs) Although, last year... My birthday last year... Oh, you like chocolate cake with vanilla icing? It combines it. Like, a chocolate... The chocolate cake is a good part. Uh, Although, I will say we did get... An ice cream cake for my last birthday. It was like an Ori. It was like a cookies and cream the ice cream cake. No, it wasn't Fudgy the Whale. We didn't, I was still living in Cleveland at the time, and there's no Carvels up there near near where I live. At least I don't know if they put one in the last. Few ice months. cream cakes are good. Yeah, yellow cake with chocolate icing is okay. I feel like and now see now we're back. <laughs> now we're back. We fizzled out a little bit with the football question that made us feel awkward. Then we started having a fight about which cake is best, and we're back, baby. All right, we'll have a whole cake podcast in the new year. Um, but until until Dallas, um, thanks for listening this year, guys. It's been a fun year. Yes. We'll still talk to you in 2017. Um, but we're going to keep doing stuff. And just so you know, as you start to plan your 2018, we will continue to do at least one podcast a week. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot going on. We'll take ideas from you guys. If you want to do some other kinds of stuff, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, we might not go two hours every time, but we'll keep doing it. So you can find us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Maurice. Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. We're getting like a new server thing or whatever. That where we do our thing. I talked to Colin the other day. Yeah, too. I've been dragging my feet on that, but it'll it won't change anything. It won't change anything for for you guys listening. But yeah, yeah that's gonna happen. So um, yeah, so it's good. So Buckeye talks rolling, and we appreciate you guys for listening. For Bill Landis and Tim Bielek, I'm Doug Maurice. Merry Christmas, everybody! And that was Buckeye talk.